Welcome to Amicast, podcast about Amiga computers. I'm your host, Krzysztof Radzikowski, but call me Christoph or Radzik. Hi, uh, it's number 24 of Amicast. So, again, I think cool episode with John and uh, this guy is behind the uh, Amibian uh, JavaScript project. I can say like this? Yeah. Okay. okay. Because this is uh, <laughs> JS, yeah, but this is JavaScript, yeah? Yeah, it's JavaScript, but uh, when you run it, uh, it's actually compiled into machine code. So it's SMGS, I guess is the technical term. But uh, yeah, JavaScript is uh, is good. Okay, let's let's do it for noobs. <laughs> yeah. <at> the beginning. <laughs> okay, so nice to have you here, uh, and um, I think um, it will be interesting interview because the project uh, it looks like very nice, and even there is website that we can go and try offline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for for having me, of course, and. Um... Yeah, there, there's a there's a build site. Uh, I'm ashamed to say that it hasn't been updated for a little while. Uh, I've been busy, busy with uh, normal life and normal work, uh, so I haven't been able to, you know, keep it up to date. But uh, there's a new version coming out soon, uh, so people can go in and check uh, how it's working out. And uh, when I get okay. the get the server part, is actually the most important thing now. Uh, so that people can actually connect to a server, log in, see that you know the the credentials are accepted, and all those you know tiny details that uh, makes for a good server system. Okay, uh, yeah. we, we will put the the link in the description. Uh, yeah. Basically, looks nice, uh, looks looks good. Uh, but before we start with this stuff, traditional, uh, how your Amiga journey was started, or to, you know the the beginning of the computer in general mm. in your life and then why Amiga and why still now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, starting with my computers. Well, uh, I guess I was uh, nine or ten years old when I got uh, Commodore 64. Uh, I had an uncle in Scotland which actually gave me, a, I think it was a ZX81 or a ZX Spectrum or something before that, but it didn't really catch on, you know, this tiny, dinky little thing. And then, of course, uh, Commodore 64 came out or became very popular in Norway. Uh, and all the kids, you know, were playing games and stuff like that. And uh, I did the same thing. I actually, I think that was around the time when I stopped going to soccer practice. <laughs> so <laughs> I was very interested in the, in the computing part. And then I started... Um, experimenting with uh, BASIC. Uh, you know, Commodore 64 had a couple examples in the, you know, the Commodore BASIC. And this blue screen, yeah? Yeah, the blue screen, and then you can get a ball bouncing and stuff. It was really fun. Uh, so I was more interested in actually how are people doing this, you know, all this magic on the screen. Uh, and I started investigating. Um, and then, of course, uh, after a few years, the Amiga came out. Uh, and uh, like everybody else, I was you know, blown away by the graphics and uh, uh, all this, you know, completely magical stuff. Uh, you know, this leap from going from, you know, Commodore 64, which was a sort of terminal system, 
Mm -hmm. We have your the blue screen and you know typing text and stuff. Yep. And suddenly you're in a window-based uh, environment. Uh, uh, you can run applications and you can run games but, and stuff. But you are direct to this um, workbench, or because yeah. most people start the, they format the workbench diskets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I didn't do that. I <laughs> I had a workbench, of course. Uh, my first computer was uh, our Amiga was an Amiga thousand, so you know you had to take really good care of that kickstart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you had a ton of games and. Uh, Every weekend, you know, me and my friends would sit around the computer playing games and having competitions and stuff like that. And then when my friends left, I, you know, would uh, get out some uh, programming stuff and uh, sit and, you know, try to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, um, I was I was doing a lot of basic programming in the beginning, like most people do. And then I switched to Assembler because that was what all the cool kids were using. So I switched to, uh, I think it was Kumaseka Assembler, uh, and then it was ASM1, and then suddenly Blitz Basic came out. And that was, okay. wow, you know, Blitz Basic, you can mix basic, uh, you know, simple commands for opening screens and stuff, and you can mix that with Assembler, and uh, at the same time, or probably earlier, you had Amos Basic, which was uh, really fun to make games in. The okay. demos and stuff. Uh, sadly, it was uh, a runtime system. It wasn't really a compiled system, so you uh, you had to ship, you know, this huge runtime with if you created a demo. So it was seen, you know, it was sort of frowned upon in the demo scene. Uh, but Blitz Basic was really cool. You could, uh, you know, spit out executables. Okay. So uh, it's it's been a part of my growing up the whole Amiga thing. Uh, you know. I used to have one in my room and it was on all the time, you know, falling asleep to the click of the drive and stuff. <laughs> it was it was always on. Uh, and of course, when I started, uh, when I joined, you know, the cracker groups and things like that, you know, we, I think I got, uh, uh, the mailman used to come, you know, with a, a, a bunch of, bunch of letters that was sort of taped together, you know, a huge bundle almost every day. And he was wondering, you know, uh, what kind of business are you guys doing? And uh, my mother would, uh, business? We're not running a business. This is a normal home. Uh, therefore, my son, he's into computers. <laughs> and I was, you know, swapping disks and said, oh, send back the postage. <laughs> you know, I used to, I used to cheat on the, on the stamps and stuff, you know, take okay. blue on, yeah, you took blue on the stamps. Can you tell us how you go into this this scene or, or cracked teams and because you were uh, in the on the Quartex yeah and, and so yeah. on yeah so this is really mm, yeah, imp impressive uh, CV yeah? <laughs> well I I started out in a Norwegian uh, group called the band uh, and they changed the name to Triumph uh, after a little while. Uh, So we did a lot of demos, and uh, you know, through the swapping, because I continued to do the swapping. Uh, most people, if they were accepted as a coder, they would stop swapping because that was for lamers. <laughs> <laughs> But I continued because it, you know, I had this huge access to games and uh, programming tools. So I got talking with somebody in uh, Alpha Flight, and I think it was Alpha Flight Germany, uh, and I was accepted there. Yeah, sure, you can join. Uh, I didn't do any cracks for them. I did. Uh, I started on uh, some intros, but then I didn't hear anything from them in a long time. So mm -hmm. 
And then I got an offer from, uh, I think that was in France, from Cortex, France or Germany, I don't really remember, if I wanted to join them. And I, yeah, sure. And uh, I had a modem and, you know, connected to the BBSs and uh, got talking and, uh, yeah. So uh, that was fun. <laughs> so then we just, uh, you know, kept on uh, swapping a little bit and uh, mostly coding. Uh, but of course, then after a little while, uh, uh, the police had this huge crackdown on Cortex, uh, specifically Cortex, because they were really uh, rampant uh, pirate copying, you know, in, especially in Germany and France. Uh, okay. I think also Britain, I'm not sure. But I heard that the piracy was really big in Germany and uh, yeah. of course for sure Poland as well, but this was later, but the beginning, uh, there's even some more documents film about this, it was yeah. really aggressive, yeah. But Cortex was, uh, uh, and I guess they're, <laughs> I guess the group is known for that, you know, they were very arrogant, very, uh, didn't really care too much about the status quo, so they, they were quite open uh, with uh, what they were doing. And they also, of course, made the mistake of using, uh, instead of using a postbox, they used uh, home addresses in the crack shows and stuff like that, because they nobody can touch them. Uh, but how the details work out, I'm not sure. But uh, I know that there was a huge operation and uh, Cortex was completely wiped out uh, by the cops. Uh, and of course, I lived up in Norway, so I was fairly protected. <laughs> they couldn't get to me, but uh, and of course, I was just a kid. I just didn't really know what I was doing, uh, you know, cracking games and stuff like that. It was just fun. And of course, as an adult working as a software developer, I have, uh, uh, you know, it's been a sort of a karma. A few of my products have been cracked and uh, you go damn you know you lose all that time and I was thinking oh I guess I can't complain <laughs> you can't yeah, but, really do anything but basically uh, of course the um, this piracy stuff was yeah. it's not maybe good or was not good but I think without this period uh, this whole IT revolution will never happen because yeah. it's uh, it's 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 what made the it, piracy can make a platform for example the reason that people bought Amigas was of course all the games and uh, you didn't think oh there's a lot of games I could buy you think that oh there's a lot of games you can copy because you went straight from Commodore 64 right uh, so yeah, you, yeah. where you simply would copy a tape you know it was super simple and uh, turbo tape 100 games on a 90 minute cassette And of course, so you got used to it. Uh, you know, we were sort of grew up with the idea that games are free. Uh, we, uh, or you can be uh, a nice guy and you can go and buy them. And the only reason people actually bought the games was because of, you know, the cool boxes. That was the only reason to buy a game. Uh, I actually tend to buy games uh, even today that uh, if, if they're good games, then I will support them. I will go out and buy it. And same with movies. I, I can... Maybe I can download a, a movie or something. And uh, But if it's a good movie and I like it, then I will pay for it. Uh, so I tried to have a little moral standing. But of course, having cracked so many games, I can't really say. <laughs> I don't have the moral high ground anymore. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, now it's much easier because you have this uh, stuff like uh, Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, uh, yeah. Spotify, for example. So basically... It's easy not to steal. Yeah, 
yeah, it's uh, that's uh, I guess that's the only protection you can actually have if you. It's a bit like open source, right? So uh, okay, if you're going to stop people from copying you, then you either have to have a flawless, you know, copy protection, which of course doesn't exist, or you can make it so open that and so available that nobody's going to bother to okay to copy. Uh, that's a, that's the only way you can solve it, actually. I think. Just maybe one fast question <coughs> and just short to let's say make a, a example or how uh, how. Is it how is it hard or how hard how hard it is to crack game, for example? Because I remember the games with the I don't know special book that has some special codes that you must type in, uh, and um, it was a lot of work. Or, or some some of them were super simple. Uh, for example, if it were, I mean I haven't coded. Amiga in uh, <laughs> two decades or something now, but I remember that you know the games that were simple to take were those that had uh, like a custom bootloader, uh, and then they would uh, have a, have a custom sector format or something. Mm-hmm. So, and it was a bit silly because the bootloader was always accessible. So if you could uh, rip the bootloader, which most debuggers could. Then you had the assembly, and of course the the boot block was very small, so it was easy to. I mean, you had to come up with something magical if other people wouldn't understand the machine code. And of course, everybody was coding 68k, so it wasn't really that hard to understand what they were doing. Those were the simplest because they didn't really have any other protection except you know what they were doing with the sectors. Uh, the hard ones were actually those that were coded in. Uh, In, in C++ or C. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if C++ existed back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but the, because the C compiler, it spit out you know so much upcode stuff, uh, stack alignments, and God knows how much crap they put into that. And uh, so you had to really sit there and wade through you know tons of machine code. Um, and then suddenly you would find maybe the, the part of the program that contains all the rules, uh, you know, like the part that shows, you know, the, the the locking thing that you have to unlock in order to use the game. Like uh, like LucasArts, for example, they had all these uh, code wheels and stuff like that. So you had to sort of recognize that logic. And then, of course, you had to simply uh, figure out where in the program are they going if everything is okay. And when you got that offset, then you simply would go back to the beginning and insert a jump to that mm-hmm. address. So it would simply skip. It would simply skip over the whole, uh, you know, checking things. So you would just disable it or fill it with no operation instructions or something like that. And that's it. And then it's a matter of just uh, writing out the files and making sure they can find each other and uh, crack by Cortex. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's just a stupid. Uh, Stupid child game. It's a bit like kids today. They sit around and play with Sudoku or something like that. And we used to, you know, mind games, trying to who can crack this fastest. I think uh, uh, I was never never the fastest, but I, I believe I did pretty good work at least. If you can yeah. call it work, it's just, <laughs> yeah. basically. I think you learn a lot, a lot of yeah. this, and, and and this is a, some. Some kind of our culture, yeah, on yeah. demo scene culture and and so on. So, so, um, so this is included the, the in uh, history. 
yeah, but the learning part is, you know, completely unique. I mean, uh, I was really lucky because I, I ended up with these guys that had so much knowledge, you know, uh, and there was guys that were, uh, you know, five to ten years older than me, uh, and they knew so much, and I, you know, I would learn more, more about programming in a day with those guys than I would learn in a month or two at school later. Uh, so when I finally, you know, got to the point when I was going to college, uh, I was actually offered a teaching position after <laughs> quite a short time. Because I always ended up, you know, correcting the teacher and helping him. And uh, no, that's not right. That's if you do this, then that will happen. And blah blah blah. And he would look at me and okay, maybe you should take over, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but I didn't really learn that much. I actually past two years at college I didn't really show up at all uh, I stayed at home uh, and then I showed up for the exams and I aced the exams and then I went on because I was already working as a programmer by then and that was due to uh, due to the things I learned on the Amiga uh, and I think that's true for a lot of programmers that they wouldn't be developers today or at least as good developers today if it wasn't for the Amiga uh, I mean, kids today, they grow up with JavaScript. Mm. I mean, we grew up with, you know, basic and machine code. So, so the learning curve is, you know, completely different. Today, you know, they put baby wheels and, uh, you know, they sandbox, you know, every corner. <laughs> and, oh, be careful. And uh, they put you in a, in a protected environment to program. I mean, we didn't do that, you know. If you crashed a pointer or jumped to the wrong address, then boom, your computer went down. Then you have to reset and go back to start. Uh, yeah, now you have all this protected. Uh, I think it's actually doing more harm than good. Uh, you have kids growing up who I actually had a conversation with a guy, and all he knew was JavaScript, which is fine. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with JavaScript if you if you know how to use it uh, properly. Uh, but he actually didn't know anything else. He didn't know, you know, Assembler or C++ or Delphi or Free Pascal or anything. So it was just JavaScript. And he actually had, he actually had uh, the audacity to say that uh, uh, JavaScript was better than Assembler. At which point I asked him if his mother had dropped him <laughs> when he was a kid. <laughs> I mean, is there something wrong with you? Is it, you? You don't know what you're talking about. But he was... 100% convinced that JavaScript that you can actually write uh, like a bootloader or a kernel in JavaScript and I was like, oh, well, okay, try please write a kernel in JavaScript and make uh, an x86 system, for example boot off that, it's not gonna happen, uh, it won't work you can't uh, you can't even use uh, C sharp for that unless you uh, have a yeah. this, I think even noob like me no, no, because oh. so uh, the, the computers have you know different levels. You know, you have a assembler uh, in the bottom, and then you just take one step up, and then you have you know C uh, or Pascal, and then you take another step up, and then you have C plus plus, and you have you know Object Pascal and all those objective languages. So it it, it moves up in stages. Uh, so you, and you can't take you can't take the rules from one level and apply that to a lower level, for example. That's not going to work. You can only apply forward or from the bottom and up. 
And, okay, uh, so and that is something that you learn this if you go to to college or university. Um, hopefully, uh, <laughs> this, is, this, this could, <laughs> could be a good question because uh, basically I see what is happening now, not only in in, in developing stuff in, in real life, as let's say, yeah. uh, as well and. Uh, Uh, for example, Apple made the Swift language now, even the application yeah. mm, for iPad to learn. But mm. I think the trend is like this to mm, to force the younger guys to be developers, but mm. maybe not so hardcore like you say, the truly only because the, I think the, the program is is made like this the, you make the one piece another guy would make one piece then another one another one and yeah. join and somehow working because yeah. of memory protection and this uh, protective stuff yeah yeah uh, there's no problem in, in having uh, component based development I mean uh, if you use Uh, free Pascal or if you use uh, C++ you will be used to uh, you know creating isolated components right mm -hmm. uh, that's a sort of fundamental part of object oriented programming and, uh, and that's fine and then you can join you know the project together and stuff like that uh, there's no problem with that uh, the problem is that you have languages now that don't follow the rules um, So I guess you can you can divide them into two parts. So you have you have uh, archetypical languages, for example, uh, the C language and Pascal. Those are archetypical languages. Those are the languages that you would use to create other languages. So those okay. are sort of fundamental and they are made in a way um, the way that they look so strange uh, and you have to use the, you know all these strange syntax is because that's the way a computer works. But now you also have, I guess, what you can call optimistic languages. Like, uh, like no, but it's in a, not in a negative way. But optimistic languages are, for example, uh, C Sharp, uh, Java, uh, and uh, various forms of scripting languages as well, uh, which are not based on computing rules. They are based on how human beings would like things to be. Okay. Uh, so they don't really fit in. Uh, for example, is it only recently I think Microsoft added uh, a native uh, compiler to uh, C Sharp. Uh, before that, there was uh, Samarin had um, uh, the Mono native compiler, uh, but none of them have really been uh, real compilers, so to speak, uh, because you still need you know the huge infrastructure around uh, a C Sharp program. Uh, I think RemObjects, uh, it was originally a German company, but it, they moved to the States. Uh, it's the only one that's actually produced a real C-sharp compiler. Uh, so you can actually write a Linux kernel in C-sharp now, if you use their compiler. But that has been impossible before because it's, uh, it's an optimistic language. It doesn't really follow the rules of how computing is done. Um, the alignment of bytes, you know, the, the way things work. Uh, all the other languages, the archetypical languages, follow that. And uh, that's also why I've, I've learned a lot of the new languages, but I refuse to use them because uh, at the end of the day, you always end up going back to uh, the real languages, so to speak. Um, I've had services um, 
that I've developed for large companies, uh, oil companies in particular. And uh, there's no room for services going down. If you have a, a couple of servers, for example, that need to operate 24-7, they need to deal with large payloads, you know, terabytes of data being shipped uh, between servers. Um, you don't have room to dicky around with C-sharp because and Java is going to, you know, it will crash and burn within a month. Uh, and we tried it. We've actually tried it. So it's not just, you know, some fanboy statement. We've actually tried these different things. Uh, and we ended, up, we ended up going back to writing our services in, uh, we have some top-level services written in Delphi, mm. and uh, which is, are super robust. And then we also had uh, a few lower-level um you know, DLL files and stuff like that, libraries, which uh, were written in C. So you end up going back there. Uh, and that's uh, where, you know, the Amiga background comes in because you're used to this. You're used to writing stuff at a lower level. You know, you're, you're not afraid of pointers or memory allocations or stuff like that because you've been doing this since you were a kid. And, uh, you know, the kids growing up today, you know, they, they have been actually been taught that direct memory access, that's dangerous. No, it isn't. Just you remember to, to do, yeah. yeah, just remember to check things before you use them and, and follow the rules, and things will be good. But uh, it's a completely different way of growing up. And I see uh, a lot of Amiga, ex Amiga developers, uh, both those that were in, in Triumph and uh, other Norwegian groups, um, that are now you know either CEOs or uh, heading head of departments, you know, development departments that I met over the years. Uh, and the reason that they have become that is because of the Amiga, and they recognize it. Uh, I remember I actually got a job once um, because I had Amiga background. Uh, and this was for one of the largest companies in, in Europe, which was uh, a bit fun. You know, it was uh, um, one of those places, you know, where you have a dress code, you go to work in a suit and stuff like that, which is totally not my style, but I was I needed a work so uh, or a job, so... Uh, I went in there and I was uh, a bit nervous and then this uh, slick guy was sitting there, you know, with his uh, fancy iPad interview and stuff like that. Uh, and then he asked about my background and uh, he noticed that, you know, uh, quite a long way down on my CV, it was, you know, 68K programming and uh, a few Amiga things I did. And he was, oh, you're, you went to Amiga? Oh, what group were you in? And I started talking and uh, it took... 10 minutes and I had the job <laughs> because he knew that, you know, like you said, you know, he was a programmer as well. So he knew that if you've been programming on the Amiga, then the stuff you got. Go. Yeah, it would be a piece of cake, you know, to, to do but the other stuff. I, I think it's really corresponding with the other stuff like musician guys or graphic guys, because a lot of graphic artists are coming from Amiga. And uh, yeah. these days, I remember that. No shading in Lightwave. <laughs> it, it was possible to do stuff. And now when I work with, I'm not the graphic designer, but I'm working with graphic because I'm a mechanical engineer. So everything you made in CAD programs. And yeah. the, the young guys, when you tell them switch to the wires because you don't need to hide objects or something, just select this. Oh, no, they, they don't see in wires, yeah? 
No, no it's, uh, it's, it's the same thing everywhere. I mean, the, there's, a, there's a sort of procession, right? I mean, just like you have gone through an evolution from the time you were a kid. And uh, all the people, you know, everyone that's grown up with the Amiga. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's programming or pixel arts. Uh, and then, of course, the evolution going from deluxe paint to, to light wave, right? And, uh, and uh, the, you learn something. You learn something about, you know, the nature of graphics uh, that you can apply to the next stage. Because you can all, like I said, you can only apply knowledge forward. You can't apply it backwards. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is the same thing. So you, you collect all this knowledge as you move along and apply it to what you do. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it's an evolution that is unique. Uh, and I feel so bad for, uh, for example, a few of the Americans uh, that are my friends that never had the Amiga. I mean, they grew up with uh, Nintendo and uh, uh, one of the first Apple machines. And uh, when I showed them in the Amiga when they were over visiting me, they were just, oh my God, you know. <laughs> so they can believe that, oh, so this is an American product that never caught on in, in America. They never even heard about it until they grew up, right? And uh, this product was then shipped out of the U.S. and sold like hotcakes in Europe. And you guys grew up with, <laughs> you guys grew up with that. But we had, you know, the DKS NES and or the Nintendo and uh, Apple II and whatnot. So they they were super jealous. Uh, <laughs> you grew up with that? Oh my God! I had 16 colors on a Mac. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is yeah. The best is now that the um, whole story it's uh, made like made by the winners. So uh, yeah. basically, it looks like there was revolutionary Apple, yeah. and then basically nothing. They were the best from the beginning, and uh, yeah, I, I saw there was a movie on Netflix uh, about I think the history of gaming or something like that. Uh, I saw something on Discovery Channel, but but there, mentioned there were only Atari, uh, Apple, mm. of course Nintendo, yeah, and, and so yeah. on. But zero Amiga, yeah. Yeah, it's the same here. It was uh, you can see all the consoles, uh, you know, from the uh, Nintendo and upwards, and then of course Atari, and then they actually I think they mentioned the Atari ST or something uh, as a sort of a side. Side comment on uh, on the Atari um, uh, 2800 was that or something? Twenty six, yeah, something the, the like first that. console, the black one, yeah, yeah, the, the ugly ones. Uh, the, <laughs> oh, I can't stand Atari. <laughs> Even to this day, you know, see an Atari and oh, the yep, Antichrist. But they are <laughs> coming back, and probably yes. I think they will make it better than our Amiga now. Yeah. No, it's evil is stirring in Mordor. <laughs> uh, no, it's, I don't know. I, I think I've actually signed up as a developer just to get a look at it. Uh, and uh, I've only seen the pictures that everybody else has seen. Uh, and it looks cool. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, uh, sure. And then they have, you know, the, you can actually order one with, you know, the, um, oh, they have, you know, the wooden front panel and stuff. Yeah. Which is a bit retro, but uh, it is cool. But I'm actually thinking that the only possible thing that they can do to establish something today, uh, and if you look at the company, uh, Atari was brought back from the dead by uh, some investor, and uh, they have actually survived by 
remaking some of the old Atari games, you know, with better graphics and stuff like that, selling on the Android platform. Primarily, I think uh, it's all also available for iOS, but I'm not sure. I think they yeah. they have some hits or something like this. Yeah, you must have uh, have yeah. some stuff, uh, stuff on iOS. Yeah. IOS. Uh, yeah, because. But then you have to, of course, think. Okay, how are they going to get this running on a new system? Because I think that's they have a portfolio of games. Now they're making a game machine, which is the most obvious or. The uh, most cost-effective way of doing that, and of course, that would be an ARM device with um, connections, probably a fork of Android, with uh, some sort of shop on top of Google Play or something. Uh, and then they, all they have to do is basically write a full-screen menu system. Really. Uh, so, so I'm suspecting that's what we're going to see—an Android-based device. But I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong because if it's an Android device, then I'm not going to code the line for it. I can't stand Java. So it's, <laughs> I used to hear NDK all the way. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, I, if it works, who knows? I mean, it's just for gaming. I mean, I come in with all this um, baggage of what I think about Atari and Java and blah blah blah. But that, had, of course, is completely irrelevant to a gamer, to a person that doesn't care what it's written in as long as it's fun no. so who, who knows maybe it will catch on and uh, but i'm actually secretly hoping that trevor would somehow magically get the tabor out <laughs> before atari and beat them to the punch <laughs> <laughs> about this we will talk uh, but uh, <coughs> sorry slowly we should uh, go to uh, jump to uh, amibian um, pro- uh, project yeah uh, and your part but before because we are talking about atari and yeah. now trevor uh, do you think there are this patch atari or patch commodore or Patch Amiga is still worth something for to bring a product and sell it, or this is only dinosaurs like we are. That no, they know. I, I think that the brand is the only thing that they actually have of value. Um, for example, I mean, take Atari. I mean, who would care anything about Atari, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my son, for example, is 12 years old and he uh, he's gaming on his PC. He doesn't even know what Atari is. Uh, the first time he saw a floppy disk was, uh, I think, a year ago when I brought the Amiga 500 out of storage. Uh, he had never seen one before. Uh, I started kickoff and I gave him a joystick and he didn't even know what to do with it. So uh, you have, you know, two, gen- two generations that have grown up without this. They have never seen a tape recorder. They have never seen a cassette, uh, VHS, or otherwise. <laughs> so they, they they don't know what this is. They have no clue, and and, and those brands mean nothing to them. Um, and then Atari, of course, came out now, and it was quickly spread uh, all over the place. But the people that are actually interested in are uh, older people. You know, uh, people in the 30s and 40s. This uh, is like making Nintendo now with this uh, yeah. SNES and and so on mini yeah. edition, yeah. Yeah, so it's. Uh, I think that if you if you were to uh, write down the age of all the people that have bought, you know, like the Nintendo remake, uh, and the same also wasn't there Sega as well, Sega Mouse Master System uh, or something? Are they doing something or they, uh, yeah? But I think now it's trendy to make the mini version yeah. of. 
Yeah, but I think that if you write down the age of the customers, I think you will find that they are not kids. They yeah. are gr- grown-up people that remember these things and want to keep them alive, uh, same as I do. I mean, uh, I'm not running around, you know, promoting Amiga or something. But if people ask me about computers, then of course I will mention it because it's it's a valuable part of, if not American history, then uh, European history. Uh, it's actually a great shame that. It, it hasn't been recognized in the states as much as this as it should be because it came from the United States. So it's, uh, yeah, cool. it's a credit to uh, to them, really. But uh, I think that most people that are going to keep uh, or give Atari the necessary funds to actually keep going are people in their 30s and 40s. And I think that will also be true for the, for the Amiga. Uh, I haven't seen any 16-year-old kids on the Amiga forums, you know, uh, the average age is, I mean, if you uh, take an average cut, I think it will end up, you know, 35 or something or 39 maybe. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's grown up people that are doing this and uh, reminiscing about, you know, the lost childhood or whatever. Uh, so uh, I, mean, I think that uh, they can build on that because uh, <laughs> there are millions of us. So of course they can build on it uh, and use those brands still. Uh, there's still time, but I think that in 10 years' time, unless something magical happens, then uh, Commodore and uh, the Commodore sign and stuff like that, you know, the uh, the symbol is going to just be an echo from the past. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's like we. Uh, if you go into you know a, a used uh, used and bought shop uh, where they sell old stuff, right? You can find some like some old signias from before the Second World War and stuff like that, and they mean nothing to you because you you don't know what the symbols means. You have no idea what the meaning is behind them, yeah. or why why somebody would be proud to get that medal or something. Uh, so it's just you know you look at them and oh look at those, and then you just move along because it's. It is meaningless to you, and I think yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that is happening to uh, Atari and Commodore as well. You have right now, you have uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who remember Commodore. They remember the Amiga, uh, and they re- associate that with fun, right? So you see the Commodore logo, and you associate that with fun, and uh, you see uh, the word Amiga, and you also associate that with oh yeah, we had some great times and stuff. So you have that association. And that is still worth something, but in 10 years' time, it's probably going to be. So they, they have, it, I would say, a 10-year runway to make this happen. Okay, uh, so after, after that, is, it's, it's uh, game over, I think. Okay, so I think now I must continue this topic because we, just, yeah, yeah, we cannot yeah. now jump to Amibian. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, be, because I, have, uh, I think you have a lot of right here. Uh, and... Uh, What I see this, let's say more or less the same. I think there are still time to make something, mm. but from I'm end user or powerful user, but not developer. Nothing like this. Mm. Uh, but I think the the now the progress is really slow on mostly NG system, yeah. Because I think yeah. if you want to survive, this can be only made by NG system. If If this is not only nostalgia, yeah, yeah. Um, but when you see the progress of Morpho as 
basically it's nothing now. Uh, yeah. Amiga OS is better, but uh, I'm always complaining about web browser. Uh, yeah. And this is four years old. And so on, so on. So basically, I think we are start to be out of time because... Uh, yeah. And the people are not young. You have the probably right. The, uh, it's hard to have the time to code between... Or, yeah. or like me, make a podcast between uh, real life, yeah? Yeah. Uh, but in 10 years, it will be even harder because I will be half day in hospital probably, yeah? Or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, there is still time to do this. But of course, it's it's like we uh, brushed into earlier. It has to do, you know, time is a factor. Uh, but it all, I, I think it all boils down to money, of course. Uh, if you have 10 millions to throw at this, there's no problem getting developers. Uh, but of course, with the mess that has been with uh, patents and things like that it's it's uh, i think it's a dangerous area to go in i think trevor is very brave that has jumped into this and and he has done in my view uh, the only logical thing you can do so uh, i mean if you look at you know morphos and then you have arrows and then you have a, a couple of forks of those right mm-hmm. uh, or at least arrows um, and then you have Amiga OS 4, and then you have the classical stuff. But all the classical stuff is sort of caught in a sort of a time prison, I guess you can call it almost. Because you have different people who own different patents, right? And they've been fighting for They've been fighting for two decades now. Who owns what? And then, of course, behind those again, you have people who are stuck with spare parts. Uh, I don't remember where I read about it, but I think it was Amiga Future or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, some guy in Netherlands or Switzerland or something that had a ton of uh, CPUs stock that he invested in uh, back in the 90s. Uh, and they had uh, he had sort of given up on them, you know, that after the Amiga crashed and the Apple stopped using the, the 68K, he was looking at it, you know, like, oh, it's lost cost. Just uh, so we just let the boxes be, uh, and then suddenly, after a little while, when the Amiga retro scene got built up, suddenly there was a market for this. Uh, and these guys have been, you know, selling CPUs and selling spare parts on eBay, actually making you know decent money because now they can actually charge more than yep. it, it used to cost. So suddenly, you have a group of people that are actually not interested in a new Amiga system because that would actually sort of kill off their business and their chance to get some return on that old investment from the 90s. Um, so Trevor, like I said, I think he's been very brave because he's facing facing sort of enemies on all sides. Uh, and the only logical thing you can do, okay, the old hardware is locked in different uh, patent questions. Uh, and it would probably be a, a legal nightmare to try to wrestle that out. And besides, the, the hardware is so old that uh, for modern computing, it uh, you know it's it's not even no, it's not suitable anymore. Right? Yeah. It's it's fun to play with, and it's uh, it's a magical system, but you can't really do modern programming with it. So okay, that's that's the hardware. So just you know, leave that and say, fine, uh, let's leave the old hardware alone. Where does that leave us? And that leaves you with uh, either either you create something new, or you have to go the software way, which is the way that Arrows has done, right? 
uh, okay, we don't care about the hardware. We want this, uh, an operating system that is, you know, the Amiga OS, and we want that to be free. And they have spent uh, 20 15, years over. Yeah. yeah, 15, 20 years on that. Uh, Uh, and I don't, I don't want to be negative because uh, writing an operating system from scratch, drivers, uh, and doing all of that while you have a day job is uh, probably one of the most impressive uh, programming projects I've seen. I mean, 20 years, oh my God. Uh, but at the same time, it has been so slow that it has missed so many opportunities to actually, you know, bring this OS uh, as a third alternative or a fourth alternative, if you count uh, Linux. Mm -hmm. They missed the boat. Uh, and then the Raspberry Pi came out, which is perfect for Arrows. Uh, and the only the only thing you can get, uh, I th I think, well, I'm not sure what it's called, Uh, Broadway or something? Yeah, there's Broadway uh, from Pascal, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's great. I bought that. It, it was, it's great. It runs like the wind. It's the fastest system I've ever tried uh, on the Raspberry Pi. It's perfect. But of course, he he's just one guy. Uh, I mean, this should this should have been fixed ages ago. You should have had you know a native Arrows version for Raspberry Pi, USB drivers and everything. I think I've been waiting now for four years for USB drivers. So that you can you know plug in a mouse and keyboard <laughs> and stuff, and, and it would be perfect. It's perfect, you know. It's uh, because Arrows and, uh, and the Amiga OS is so cost-effective. Mm -hmm. This is a system that was written to run in 512k of memory, so of course it's it's super efficient. But uh, back to the hardware. I mean, those are the two ways that you can go. You can write a new operating system and make that run on x86 and ARM and MIPS and whatever you can get your hands on. Uh, or you can write or create a whole new platform, uh, hardware-based platform, which is what Trevor has done. And there's still time. There, there's still time to uh, to go that way because people love hardware. We love new devices. And uh, even people that haven't you know, used an Amiga before will think that, okay, you can get this kick-ass game system, uh, providing that it is a kick-ass game system. Uh, for around $400. And it also doubles as a computer uh, with a great operating system. Sure, that, that's a good deal. Uh, I think we need uh, we need a small small system that is uh, fun to use and, and good to use. Uh, but like you say, you know, the operating system needs uh, a better web browser. Um, that's sort of a fundamental thing today. Uh, you know, the web browser is almost more important than the operating system. Yeah, I think it's basically yeah. <laughs> can be operating system. Yeah, yeah it's, it's sort of been a, become an extension. Uh, I see yeah. that with my son, for example. Uh, I turn on my computer and uh, for me, the computer is the desktop, right? Uh, and also a few of the sub-levels. But as a programmer, you know, you, you work on the desktop, you start Visual Studio or Delphi or Free Pascal or whatever you program in. And it all takes place on the desktop. But for my son, uh, he couldn't care less. You know, he, uh, for him, the computer is either the browser or Steam. Those are the two things that he uses, right? And uh, for my daughter, uh, the computer is all about YouTube because then she can watch videos and sing and do all the girly stuff. Uh, so for her, that, that's it. You know, watching, uh, she watches Netflix and YouTube and that's basically it. 
And next year, she will start, you know, doing some homework on the computer. But uh, desktop, that doesn't mean anything to them. So, uh, so there's, they need to have a good browser. And I actually, uh, I hope I'm not, <laughs> hope I'm not uh, speaking out of place. But uh, I actually have been talking to Trevor about a few things. He's really a great guy, uh, and he also mentioned that they are actually working on the browser problem. So that, that, that's, uh, I don't know if he has mentioned that publicly and maybe he will get mad at me for mentioning it, but uh, I know that this is something that they are working on. So uh, I'm looking forward to, yeah, so, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing uh, uh, the only problem from what I understand of the PowerPC, I haven't really programmed that much on the PowerPC, uh, is is that uh, the byte alignment is uh, the other way yeah, around. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah. I heard that the problem is uh, in Odyssey, the JavaScript and the uh, JTI uh, mm. implementation because of the this Indian issues. Yeah. Uh, and like I talked with some guys uh, during interview, uh, after interview, some developers, Basically, everybody says to me this is not possible to write uh, the new browser or updated browser for AmigaOS. It's no go because it's too heavy to do it or to port it, uh, and nobody cares. So yeah, I'm, it's not. It's not. Yeah, sorry. I'm in panic because I'm, yeah. I cannot write, and yeah. I can use my X5000 every day, and I wrote the book. But I wrote the book about this, but without Odyssey, I cannot use this computer every day. Yeah. No, but it isn't. Uh, uh, it, it's, it can't be that hard. Uh, at least, if you look at the code base, for example, if you go into uh, uh, the Google Chrome uh, uh, GitHub uh, repo, And look at the code. It's it's 90% standard uh, C C++ code. Uh, okay. So the problem is things like masking. If you're using a bit mask, for example, for flags or something like that, then those since you have you know a, a completely different engine, uh, those are swapped, and of course you can end up with testing the wrong bits. So the bit, so the so yeah so the so the so the bit you know testing code has to be you know rewritten for the end end, uh, which is really uh, of course time consuming. It's not impossible, and uh, it's been done several times uh, with you know different systems in the past. Uh, I mean, the whole uh, it's like you know the old Macs, for example. Uh, Microsoft ported uh, Microsoft ported the whole Word package, uh, you know, Word and Excel and stuff like that, from the PC to the old Macs, and those were had a different engine. And it's uh, it's a time-consuming, terrible thing to do, but uh, you have to do it. And and this is also why I'm a huge advocate of when you write code, then don't optimize it with you know those old-time tricks, like uh, you know. There's a, there's a whole bunch of you know coding tricks that you can do maybe to shave off a clock cycle here and there and make the code go faster or something like that. You know, avoid those when you write code and write code that is maintainable. Uh, you can I know use, what you mean. Uh, yeah, from my point of view, because I designed the uh, parts and um, yeah. this is the program that 
build the parts with history. So first yeah. you have this operation, then, then, then. But when you ma- mess it up, the guy and you are on the holidays, yeah. the guy that must rework it is that yeah. man, yeah? Yeah. So stay away from that and stick to the, you know, the standards. And uh, I, I, maybe that's like we talk about programming languages. That that's probably one of the one of the few things that have actually become better with the the optimistic languages. That uh, they shield you from doing those mistakes, or they or they force you. Actually, is probably a better word. Uh, which of course I hate because I would like to have the you know the freedom to do whatever I like. But but they actually force you to write code that. Um, idiot proof. Yeah, it's sort of idiot proof, but uh, at the cost of performance and portability. But uh, they force you at least to to write code that you can uh, recompile later, and uh, and that has actually been the selling point of, for example, .NET. That you write the program on Windows, and then you should, in theory, be able to compile it on the Mac as well. And this isn't completely true. It depends on what framework you're using. If you're using uh, you know, the Windows framework, then naturally that is for Windows only. But mm-hmm. vanilla code, like a library or a package that doesn't call the operating system, that implements something in c or Visual Basic or whatever, uh, will, of course, compile on a different operating system. Uh, and this is also true for you know uh, most of C++. There are a few subtle differences between uh, GCC and uh, uh, C++ Builder or Visual Studio. But those are, you know, superficial. If you, if you write vanilla C code, then that should compile unless you're doing something magical like bit shifting or bit testing or, I mean, leave the bits alone, do an RI of bytes or something instead because then you don't have to care about, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah. And then things will be portable, but Porting over, for example, the latest uh, uh, Chromium or WebKit core, it would probably take uh, uh, some months to do that. Um, but uh, it's not impossible. It's time-consuming. Uh, I would have I, I done it myself, but uh, I have to admit that my strength is actually Object Pascal. That is what I've been working in now for 20 years. Uh, and then I mix... When I have the chance, I break my own rules and I mix in you know, just a little bit of sampler to make it go faster and stuff. Uh, but my uh, official training is as uh, a Delphi expert. Uh, and of course, Delphi isn't the most popular language these days, but uh, Free Pascal has, I think, uh, I don't remember how many hundred thousand users, but in the world and in general, there's about a bit over two million, two million object Pascal both Delphi and Free Pascal developers. But I would have done it myself, but I need to uh, finish uh, finish uh, my studies with C. Because I'm used to C++ Builder, which is a part of the Embarcadero uh, software package, or studio, so to speak. So you can, you can write Delphi code, and then that will work in C++ Builder, and then you can write C code, and that will work in Delphi, and you can mix and match those, mm-hmm. because they, have, they, they share the same code generator. So it's the same code that's uh, emitted. Um, but then jumping from that into uh, GCC or uh, uh, Visual Studio, it's, uh, that's a steep learning curve. You know, you have these you know, Bible books that you have to go through first. So I'm not going to pretend to be a CC++ programmer because I'm not. But I am old enough to know that if you want to learn something, 
then you can learn it, but it, it will require time. Uh, it's scientific, scientifically proven that you have to repeat something 10,000 times or something uh, to get it into your nervous system. So um, it will take time to, to get used to C++, C++ for example, but it is possible. But I would have done it myself, and I would probably, based on the code that I can read, uh, it will probably take uh, less than a year if I'm doing it part-time. If you're doing it full-time, then, well, it depends on the person, I guess. But it's certainly not impossible. But it's extremely time-consuming. Okay. But, 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 but once they have... Uh, once they have ported the code over, uh, I think that up maintaining it should be a lot simpler if you use, uh, for example, Git has a, has a lot of uh, fantastic functions for uh, doing changes and the merging, especially the merging part. Uh, if you've worked with the SVN uh, in the past, uh, it takes a while to get used to, for example, Git because there's so many new functions. But the, the merging part and, the, for example, isolating um, a part of the code, uh, for example, the WebKit code. Let's say somebody has gone in there and they have swapped the bit masks and stuff yeah, like that. There is a guy that did it. Yeah, then the, then you can you know isolate that part and say, do not update this part. This has to stay the way it is. And then you do a merge. And if some of the code collides, then you can go in there and fix it up. Uh, so there's so many cool tools you can use today to, well, all the other code you know, which is you know vanilla C and which will compile out of the box uh, will of course be updated and maintained but I, I think it's possible to do it good yeah. to hear I hope I hope something will will be better but yeah. uh, now it's maybe because there was the part about the languages and um, let's say I would like to learn the programming or scripting <laughs> yeah and of course uh, probably you know I'm big fan of Hollywood uh, But you are a big fan of Pascal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's say, what could you, which language or which way you could advise to starting from scratch to programming on Amiga OS or other system as well? Yeah. So I'm zero, nobody. How to do and what what to choose? Well, I'm not sure about. Uh what the state is on OS 4. Uh, so I can't really say that. I know that Free Pascal has been ported, which is a great way to start because it's uh, Pascal as a language is very easy to understand. Uh, and, uh, well, it's a, there's, a, there's a lot more to this story, but, um, you know, back in the 70s, you know, uh, C wasn't even a standard. Uh, you know, the, Dennis Ritchie and those guys actually spent a long time forcing C into becoming a standard. Uh, but before that, the C language was actually sort of, uh, you had a hundred different toolkits that people were using to writing programs, especially for the IBM main mainframes and stuff. And uh, they managed to wrangle this into a standard, which was, you know, the Dennis Ritchie and the uh, Kerningen standard. Uh, but at the same time, it was still pretty Greek you know it's uh, if you if you if, if C is your first language and you're going to probably spend a lot of time you you would probably be better off you know starting in basic or something to get you know the fundamental ideas uh, you know jumping and uh, expressions and those things get those into the fingertips first uh, and this is where Pascal came in because they needed 
they needed a language that had the same capabilities as C, C++, uh, which were ad- identical in every way, uh, except that it had to be easier to teach. Uh, and of course, if you look at some of the, you know, the spaghetti C code, <laughs> it's, you can imagine teaching that. It's, uh, it wouldn't be easy. Uh, so they came up with Pascal, and uh, Pascal was actually used, uh, and it was financed by Apple for a long time, uh, Apple Pascal. And there was also an operating system that they made in Pascal. Uh, there's actually an operating system written from scratch in Free Pascal for the Raspberry Pi. Uh, so I'm supposed to actually write some GPU drivers for them. Uh, whenever I have the time, <laughs> but uh, but Pascal is an e- very easy language to learn, and you still have the sa- the exact same way of working as you would do in C. So if I were you, I would at least uh, have a look at it. Perhaps um, it might seem, uh, and and it might seem if you just you know fire it up and oh I don't understand anything, get a book. Really, uh, people. Uh, people don't seem to do that anymore. Uh, they they start software and then they start stuff and they don't really understand it and then they give up. That is, you know, the typical beginner thing. I did that as well. You know, I, I imagined myself as a programmer and I, and I fell flat on my face because I I had uh, cheated. You know, I I didn't want to read the boring parts, so I jumped straight to the cool examples and I didn't understand anything. So so get a book. Buy a buy a book like. Uh, Object Pascal for beginners or something. You know, there's there's a ton of stuff and PDF uh, books you can get. So uh, if if Pascal is not your cup of tea and you want to learn, you know, like classical C C++, then which is also a great, fantastic way to work. Uh, then there's a ton of books for that as well. Uh, get a good good book on GCC, for example, and uh, you usually get you know these these uh, huge uh, huge bibles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I imagine uh, uh, six hundred. Yeah, so you know, fifteen hundred pages and stuff yeah. like that. But 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 you have to remember that these books you're not expected really to read all of it. Most of them are. If you buy a good book on the C language, then uh, a few of the chapters will teach you about the different concepts, and then uh, f- like fifty percent of the book will be you know reference material. Uh, concrete topics that you can continue to go back to whenever you're wondering about something. So it's not really that scary as people want to have it. Uh, personally, I, if you're going for uh, a classical Amiga, for example, which is actually a fantastic way to start programming because the languages today are so complex and they cover a million different things that you can use them for. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like being 15 years today and wanting to learn programming and you install Visual Studio and start it for the first time. I mean, it's, uh, there's uh, hundreds of different projects you can start and you have no idea what it is. And uh, so it's it, starting to program on the 68K, for example, get BlitzBasic. BlitzBasic is fantastic. Or Amos, a uh, very colorful and joyful way of, uh, of learning the ropes. Uh, but of course, it's not... It hasn't been updated. It's not modern, so you have to be prepared to wait. Not system uh, friendly. This is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not system friendly. But of course, nobody cared about system friendly back in the day. I mean, uh, yeah. if, it, for example, one of the great ways of learning to program is you know making demos. For example, uh, how do I scroll a text across the screen? How do I get you know bouncing balls and bobs? What is the difference between a sprite and a bob? For example, 
uh, and uh, on the Amiga, that is actually two different things. In a modern game on the PC, there are, there are no such things. There, you know, sprites doesn't exist anymore. It's just you know, blitting uh, and using the GPU. So uh, you get to know all these concepts. But uh, sadly, there's really no basic alternative for the PC anymore. Uh, basic is Microsoft has sort of killed Basic with uh, you know Visual Basic took over everything and then they haven't really updated it yet. Uh, so it's dying out, uh, which is really sad because Basic is a great language. But you can actually also download Blitz Basic for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Mark Sibley, which is one of the, my childhood um, heroes on the Amiga, uh, together with Francois Leonette, which made Amos, uh, he uh, suddenly he open sourced everything. So you can get uh, Blitz Basic 2, Blitz Basic 3D, and uh, all those old uh, systems for the PC for free now. So you can just download them. Uh, and they work. They work perfectly. It's uh, they've uh, they've been uh, producing games for the Xbox and uh, for the Windows for a long time. So uh, yeah. that could, that could be a great way to start, because you have that connection to the old Amiga uh, running on your PC. So so that can be good. Okay. Uh, uh, on the on the next generation systems, I'm not sure how the menu looks like, but I w- there is a system called uh, Amy Blitz, which is uh, uh, which is an update of the original Blitz Basic code. Uh, I would imagine that that would run on uh, OS 4.1 or 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, I can that could be good. Uh, personally, I'm, I've been asked to maintain the uh, uh, Amiga OS 4.1 Free Pascal repository so I've accepted that, and I will uh, try to update it. Uh, but I need the hardware, so I have to wait until the Tabor gets out, and then I can start the backport, which is actually going to be super uh, fun because I have like 15 years, uh, 20 years of uh, Delphi projects that I can now backport to the Amiga. So uh, I have you know complete invoicing systems. Um, uh, image converters, everything you can imagine that I've coded uh, over the years, and now I get a chance to port that back to the OS4. Nice, more yeah. software for us. Yeah, it's a ton of software, so I'm really hoping to uh, get my hands on that hardware soon. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I hope it will be because Trevor said this will be, yeah. uh, let's say, presented on the noise or or in the AmiOS, and uh, yeah. I think this is the. This year, the Tabor must be in the shops. If yeah, not, it can be too late. Yeah. Yeah, well, I heard that uh, there was something planned for uh, late 2017. Uh, if that is correct or not, I'm not sure. You really have to either ask uh, Trevor directly or uh, look at the website. Uh, but uh, at least that's what I've heard. That it's you know uh, late this year or. Uh, uh, at the beginning, first quarter of next, that it's sort of due for them. Uh, but I know that there's a lot of boards in circulation for uh, you know beta testers and uh, people you know actually testing each part of the hardware and making sure that it works. And probably some some guys writing drivers and stuff. So, uh, 
But uh, if uh, one of the beta testers is bored, uh, they can send uh, send uh, send the board to me, and uh, I can. <laughs> yeah, stop I, I feel it would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just send it to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's jump to Amibian because we, <laughs> the, the, we should talk about this, and this is one over one hour uh, yeah. without. So um, Amibian, I think most of us uh, know this is the. Uh, solution for Raspberry Pi, yeah, uh, Amiga solution for Raspberry Pi emulation, uh, and your version or uh, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, is the web uh, web page application uh, website application something like uh, like FriendOS. Lately, you write even the. Yeah. Article on your blog about this. Yeah, people uh, confu- people are a bit confused, so I, I figured I could try to clean it up. Uh, I actually think it made things worse, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but the intention was good. Um, but yeah, well, uh, Amibian, the original Amibian. I think this is important to to separate those two a bit because uh, Gunnar and Thomas and I believe you've interviewed those before. Yes, are uh, the guys behind the, the Amibian. Uh, Gunnar is actually sort of the, the guy that actually sat down and did it. And then Thomas has uh, has uh, created some of the stuff around it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great team. And uh, both of them are my friends. So we've been, you know, throwing ball on Amibian and uh, everybody's, you know, trying to, to pitch in with ideas and stuff. Uh, I think actually Gunnar started with, he was looking at um, a web page that I have And I was super psyched because I was talking, I think I was talking with Chips, the guy that's behind uh, the UAE for ARM. And he showed me how I could boot this, you know, boot into WordMesh. And I was just, oh my God, yeah, cool. Uh, so, and I wrote about yeah, it. And then I wrote about that. Yeah, it's super cheap. And it's, yeah, that's super because uh, I've always wanted to do that. And I hated, you know, those old uh, UAE ports like uh, EUAE and those those uh, those old ones you know, they're really slow by today's standard they're really slow um, so you can't really take x86 Linux and expect to get uh, uh, you know win UAE running unless you're running it through wine or something so this was an excellent uh, idea okay we can boot that up and just uh, boot straight into uh, into the workbench yeah great so I, I wrote about that but I never took the time to actually realize it you know I started it but Uh, I don't know enough uh, about Linux to, you know, just go in there and change the boot sequence and stuff. Uh, and Gunnar didn't know this either, but he took the time to to learn. So uh, he took the idea uh, a long time ago, and uh, he has been continued continued doing this since. And then we got talking, and we became good friends. And uh, yeah, so that's sort of the story with uh, Amibian. Gunnar has done uh, has pretty much done all the work. Uh, so he deserves that credit. You know, he he's the one that sat down and actually made uh, a distro, especially for the Amiga. So uh, he and Thomas deserves uh, the full credit for that. That's uh, really great stuff. Uh, and then we were talking uh, about websites because uh, Gunnar has uh, uh, he just took one of those you know those free website stuff. Uh, yeah, this yeah. Is, I know this. Is, and, I, and I said, uh, "Oh my God, you have to have a better <laughs> website. You can't have, do, you know." It's, and the Amiga has so much, you know, cool graphics and stuff you can use. And uh, you have this blue, ugly, 
you know, get your act together. And he said, oh, fine, why can't you make one? Okay, sure, I'll make one. Uh, and then I took, um, I guess I have to t- talk about Smart Mobile Studio a bit as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but uh, I used Smart Mobile Studio, which is uh, actually a compiler and programming language that uh, me and uh, some friends have made, which of course is Object Pascal, and it allows you to write free Pascal type code. Uh, and then it compiles that to JavaScript, which of course is a huge time saver because you get to write uh, coding classes, you get inheritance and all that stuff. But we can, we can talk more about that later, but I use that. Um, so I decided to use one of our uh, demo projects, which is an embedded desktop. Uh, and that embedded desktop is uh, originally written to run on, well, embedded systems. So you would fire up Linux and you will open Chromium in the full screen, and then you will simply, you know, run your own desktop. And when you use this with uh, touch devices, for example, let's say you're making uh, a ticket system for a sub uh, for the subway. Mm, for this example, this you know. kiosk stuff, yeah. Yeah, kiosk yeah, type of systems. That's what it's meant for. So I, I started out with that one, and I started building something, and I figured, okay, we need to make uh, Gunnar's website look Amiga. Uh, so I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, getting the style right and uh, stuff like that. And of course, I started with OS 4, because uh, I thought, you know, that looks really sexy. Uh, and then I simply had to rewrite the window management system uh, from scratch, because the other one... Uh, or the older example that uh, Amibian is based on was uh, more like, you know, the iPad, you know, with windows would slide back and forth and uh, you had a back button and next button and stuff like that. So I removed that and rewrote the window system so that you can actually have, instead of full screen windows, you would have normal windows that you can resize and stuff. And uh, before I knew it, we had um, uh, a pretty good copy of the way that OS 4 could look, or you had a had a nice okay. facsimile, so to speak. And then I thought, okay, let's take this one step further. And I introduced uh, some remote uh, disk drive code, uh, where you actually would, for example, you can connect up to to uh, Dropbox, for example, or Google Drive or something. Uh, and then I wanted to avoid native code. Uh, it would be so easy to finish this if I used native code uh, on the server side. Uh, it would probably be finished in two weeks. Uh, but I wanted something that was truly portable, that would run on Linux, Windows, Mac, that you can run on your phone. That uh, I actually had <clears throat> one of the first tests I did was on my TV. So I installed uh, uh, everything on the TV. That was cool. So it... Uh, when you yeah, it's perfect it. place for for such a OS, yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's, and, it, and it works it really works it's really great so um, but of course the the big challenge was uh, how are we going to uh, actually do something cool with this uh, okay you have a, a web based system that looks like the Amiga but that that is kind of simple I mean it's uh, CSS and it's JavaScript. That doesn't really mean anything. Uh, and then we took uh, UAE, uh, which has been rewritten for JavaScript. There's actually two versions. You have a UAE GS, which is compiled from C code, 
using a Clang uh, backend compiler. So that actually emits ASM.js, which runs uh, pretty close to native. Uh, this is the hardest one to get working. I'm, I'm working on that one now. Uh, and then there's a handwritten version, which is the one that's in uh, that you can try now. Uh, that also works brilliantly. You can start, you know, disk games and uh, load up uh, ADF files. You can even mount hard disk uh, hard disk images. Uh, so suddenly you could okay now we can run Amiga software on it, which is uh, just really cool. And um, I've uh, hooked the uh, the browser today can now actually respond to um, a joystick. Uh, so you can hook up a joystick with a PC and the browser can actually take control of it. Uh, and then you can pipe those signals into UAE. So you can actually sit there now with a, with a gamepad or something and, and play old Amiga games in the browser, which is... Uh, really nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun because, uh, at least for me, I have a really small office. Um, I have barely enough room on my desk for, for two keyboards. Uh, which is a bit of a paradox because I have so many different computers that I really want to, you know, have available. Uh, I don't have room for my Amiga. Uh, yeah, the same more. problem. Yeah. So uh, right now my Amiga Thousand is in uh, my living room, and my girlfriend is not too happy with it. <laughs> so I probably have to move that down into the basement. Um, but at least uh, if I just want to, you know, play some games uh, or mess around and play basic or whatever then I can now I can do that in the browser uh, just load it up and, uh, and play around with it uh, so and this of course brings us to the next topic uh, when it comes to, to friend OS because uh, a lot of people I keep getting questions almost every week about that and, uh, and it's uh, it's uh, sort of become kind of a touchy subject I guess uh, because I'm this isn't, has never been about, you know, some sort of competition or something. Uh, Friend OS is a much larger system, and it's uh, it's the kind of system you would use to uh, maybe create, you know, corporate software, for example. Uh, uh, I actually worked with them for a month, uh, but they are C programmers, and uh, uh, I'm an Object Pascal developer, so it was, you know, the learning curve for me again would be very high, very steep. Mm-hmm. I would I would have to. Uh, you know, study for six months before you become productive, and so I decided to drop that. Um, but they have a system that is uh, much more capable when it comes to um, modern-day computing, and that is what they have actually set out to do, which is great. Uh, my system uh, and what we started with was to create something for the Amiga, uh, and it's actually a project type in Smart Mobile Studio, so. If you own Smart Mobile Studio and you need a desktop, for example, for embedded applications, then that is just, you know, new project, desktop project, boom, you have a desktop. And uh, so, we, so we have sort of backported a part of the, the pieces there. Um, but uh, Amibian GS and, uh, and the future that that has is as a remote desktop system, which is capable of running Amiga, uh, Amiga code. Uh, so the end result, uh, at least as I, uh, I hope that we can finish, is something along the lines of, I guess, Arrows. Uh, Arrows is capable of uh, running native Arrows software, but it also has, you know, the emulation, uh, a really good emulation layer. 
so that they can run 68k applications as well and that is sort of what we're aiming at here um, the other type of application is a um, uh, special system which is actually divided into two parts where uh, you half of your program would run on um, in the browser and the other half would run on your server uh, so when you create an application for Amibian, uh, you actually you would write the server part and the client part. And when you install that package into Amibian on the server, it will uh, make sure that you know whenever you start that program, the client code will be transported to your browser, while the other part is installed as a service on the uh, on the Node.js backend. Uh, so this is a I think this is very exciting. Uh, it's an exciting time to do computing because mm. you're not now you can do these things, and uh, Node.js is turning out to be uh, infinitely more capable than native code because native code, you know, it can't scale. Uh, for example, Netflix, they had um, the entire backend was a sort of soup of different native services. They had uh, Java, they had uh, C++, they had uh, some Scala backend stuff. And it was, you know, this giant uh, monolith of, uh, of uh, native services. So every time something went wrong uh, in, um, or, or some feature had to be tested, it, I think it, uh, when I saw the interview with one of the developers, they, they talked about you know forty five minutes waiting, <laughs> waiting for everything to compile before they can actually test something. And uh, you can imagine working on that. Uh, you write a couple of lines of code, you hit uh, execute, and it starts building. And then you can go have lunch and come back. Uh, that's impossible to work like that. So they de- they decided to rewrite everything in uh, in Node.js. Uh, so they rewrite, you know, the, the whole backend for um, for um, Netflix is actually JavaScript now, uh, Node.js, uh, because th- that can scale because you have, you know, the virtual machines and you have um, process managers and stuff like that. So it runs perfectly on a Raspberry Pi, but you can, if you want, let's say you want to have a server that can deal with ten thousand people at once, then you could simply scale up. Mm-hmm. And th- you can you can do this on Amazon. It's just uh, typing in the number of instances, yeah, yeah and then hit you go by the power of of computers or something like this. Yeah, yeah. cloud. Yeah, cloud this is cloud. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so it's super easy, and you can also have uh, they also have process managers that will automatically scale. Uh, so you just set you know a maximum limit, but of course, if you have ten thousand people connecting at once. Or using, uh, in our case, you know, desktop. Uh, that's going to be a lot of uh, memory, and it's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, so for me, I'm, I'm not putting this on Amazon, but I'm coding it so that people can put this on Amazon or their own home server or whatever. So uh, Amibian GS will, of course, be free. Uh, it will also be, uh, you know, the source will be available. Uh, stuff like that, so they can compile it with uh, with uh, Smart Pascal if they want to play around with it. But it's uh, by default, it's an Amiga system. It's for Amiga users, basically. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, and that is of course wildly different from uh, Friend OS, which is uh, 
made to be, you know, a completely new system uh, that uh, is capable of sort of uniting different web technologies into one interface. You can, it can of course, do the same thing with Amibian, but uh, to be honest, I really have no interest in it. Uh, uh, and why should I create something that uh, people I know <laughs> make? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it doesn't make any sense. So uh, I, I will leave that to, you know, friendos, and I will focus on the Amiga part. And uh, the hope is to make a really good uh, desktop system for Amiga users and try to replicate uh, uh, or be inspired as much as possible by OS4 so that you can have a web environment that corresponds you know, to the desktop environment that you have. So, okay. uh, so, so that would be good. There are some general questions, I think, connected yeah. with this because um, I can imagine that Amibian or FriendOS uh, in this situation will be, let's say, the same. Uh, but this I can, for example, run as a terminal or something like this. Yeah, I can have the computer maybe even without uh, operating system. Let let's say boot direct to browser. Yeah, and then yeah, I've done I've done that already, uh, which is actually super simple today. I actually thought that it was going to be really hard uh, to get this going because you would have to uh, okay we need chromium or a webkit engine uh, or firefox for that matter firefox is actually better on linux so i thought okay this is going to be hell to code this and i imagine uh, using free pascal and sdl something like that mm-hmm. uh, and try to set up a virtual frame buffer and basically render the html uh, ourselves Uh, using the WebKit engine, but it turned out that there are systems available for this. You don't really need to code that much. So uh, setting up, you know, kiosk software. I mean, there are a ton of companies working uh, with embedded systems that, of course, use this or have started at least uh, to use this now. Because um, I can I can take a user case, for example. There was a, a company with some Delphi programmers that I know in uh, in Oslo. Uh, and they've been they've been using native code for ages, and uh, and Delphi has uh, a really great uh, new framework called um, FireMonkey. But the, and this uses you know the GPU and stuff like that for graphics, so it's uh, it's pretty snappy. But the problem is that it's very resource hungry. It requires a lot of uh, CPU power to to run the executables, and uh, it's uh, it has been x86 only uh, lately. Uh, you can compile for ARM. And, Uh, Linux and uh, Mac OS and stuff like that, but but at the time it was very resource hungry, and they spent uh, I think that I think they wasted a whole year writing some kiosk software for uh, a ticket system, uh, and in order to run you know the, the the Delphi natives they they had to have a pretty beefy, uh, pretty powerful x86 board which cost uh, I think it was two thousand something in Norwegian kroners, about $200, uh, $250 or something. Uh, and it still was underpowered. It would still lock up uh, sometimes, especially during communication with the server. So you would click like uh, a checkout, uh, an item, for example, and you know the button would freeze while it was talking to the server and then it yeah, would I, magically... I <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, and of course... 
people that are on the run and uh, you know going to work and you know stressed uh, they end up you know clicking again and again and again and it choked the server and it caused a ton of problems uh, and I said okay why why are you using why can't you use smart Pascal instead and uh, JavaScript what are you talking can't use JavaScript and, you, and I said okay fine I can I can write a, a test system for you so I set up um, made a replica of their system uh, and I used WebSocket and Node.js on the server and uh, <laughs> by the time we were finished they were able to take the whole system and move it from the expensive x86 platform down to a Raspberry Pi and they, uh, they cut cost by I think it was uh, I don't remember the figures right now but I think it was $170 or so they saved a ton of money on, on doing this because now they only needed the, the Raspberry Pi. Uh, they didn't even need, need a heatsink. They didn't need to uh, overclock it or anything. And uh, it booted straight into Chrome in full screen. Uh, they had they all already had you know touch device uh, screen. So everything was in order and uh, it worked out of the box. And the cool the cool thing was actually the server because uh, WebSocket uh, contains buffering mechanisms. So uh, when you send a message, uh, you don't have to you know, think about how is it going to be delivered and what sequence is it going to be delivered. It's not like UDP when you send packages and uh, some of the later packages can show up first. You know, order is always a problem with the, you know, network, networking on that level. But uh, WebSocket will cache everything and it will deliver one-on-one -one message um, and you don't have to, to care about threading. Uh, JavaScript is single-threaded by default, but it has uh, insane, uh, uh, you know, it executes really fast. Mm -hmm. And it, this, uh, the, the message dispatching is uh, very safe to do, and it doesn't, it doesn't stress the system. It uh, uses actually remarkably little CPU. Uh, but of course, the more stress you put on it, the more CPU, but it, it scales incredibly well. So uh, the whole server and everything that they had spent so much time coding uh, was just, you know, thrown out. Uh, and they replaced it with uh, a smart mobile studio solution instead. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Okay, so in this, um, let's say, situation story, uh, uh, maybe your project or, yes, something like this can be a solution to bring the Amiga OS to Raspberry Pi because basically Raspberry Pi can be natural platform for crazy guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, <Thank> you. <laughs> yeah, but you know, spending two thousand dollars for a computer or something, and spending yeah. uh, oh, 20, 20 um, times less, uh, and run operating system like Amiga OS would be yeah. nice, yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, the, the problem with the Raspberry Pi is that when you start throwing uh, large and complex uh, code at it, then it starts to you start to realize just how low powered it is. Uh, it runs uh, when, uh, it runs UAE really fast because uh, the UAE version that we use in Amibian has been specifically updated for ARM. So it's, uh, it has a great performance uh, for Amiga OS, you know, the classical OS uh, under emulation. But uh, when you start throwing modern code at it, then you can see how 
slow it really is. And especially JavaScript. Uh, the test that I've done on Raspberry Pi with Amibian, uh, it does run. It's, there's no problem. It, it does, does run, but it's uh, still a bit slow. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a bit too slow for my comfort. Uh, so if you take one step up, for example, and use an Odroid, uh, Odroid, or I was hoping to use a Tinkerboard, but that turned out to be uh, a mess. <laughs> Tinkerboard isn't ready for it yet. Okay. Uh, the software, the OS, the, it still needs a lot of work. So I was really disappointed by the Tinkerboard. Um, and I actually bought two of them. So yay. <laughs> I always buy two boards when I'm testing and I'm just, oh crap, that's a... 100 euros down the drain. <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but, but the, so the old droid performs uh, really, really good. So um, if you throw in 10 euros more, then you get an old droid, and uh, it's uh, so much more powerful. And that runs Amibian perfectly. Uh, also, the UAE, of course. Uh, this is, of course, what I'm hoping to replace because, like I mentioned, there were two versions of the JavaScript. Right. Uh, and we're using the slowest version now, the handwritten one. Um, uh, and the reason that I picked that one was, of course, that it's so much easier to go in and change things uh, than diving into you know, the UAEC code. I can read C perfectly fine, and I can also go in and do changes, but ultimately I'm not a C programmer. So yeah, I, I can uh, you know, fix uh, small things and add a few new features, but uh, I'm not really that comfortable with C yet. So. But uh, in JavaScript, it's you know super easy to jump in, and um, one of the experiments I'm doing uh, at the moment is hijacking the uh, I/O signals uh, from the Amiga and uh, remoting them. So uh, UAE think it's uh, reading from an ADF, for example, uh, and then I grab the signals and then I send it to the server, and it reads the ADF there instead, and then ships back the data. Um, I'm not sure if it's actually going to work uh, fast enough. It, it does work. And of course, IO is async uh, by default. So there's no problem there. And then it delivers the data, but uh, I think it's going to be too slow. I mean, you have to, I mean, every read operations for a disk and shipping that over the network. So I'm hoping to set up some sort of caching system. Uh, but the reason I made uh, I tried to hijack it was, of course, to be able to introduce uh, introduce uh, the file system that we have in Amibian to introduce that on the Amiga emulation side, so that you can get access to uh, your files on Dropbox, for example, and all those things. So you can get really those. Nice. Uh, yeah. So that that was uh, that was the idea. But I I don't think it's possible to um, with the code base that we have now. I think uh, it, we will have probably have to do some some changes in the uh, the C code um, to introduce because there is uh, there are settings for you know virtual devices. Uh, that's how um, uh, UAE is able to, for example, if you have a folder on your PC, you can introduce that as a drive on the Amiga side. Yep. Uh, so that mechanism can be used. Uh, sadly, that mechanism isn't available in the JavaScript version. Uh, you can boot off, uh, you can actually start uh, hard disk images, uh, actually, <laughs> uh, where you upload to uh, Amibian, uh, and then it will run it in memory. Uh, I actually uploaded a hard disk image at 1.2 gigabytes <laughs> and booted that in memory, and it really ran fast. But of course, it's, uh, it's not something you 
what I do on a daily basis. So um, uh, I need to uh, probably uh, go into the C code and uh, get the virtual device in there. And then when you compile that to JavaScript, then you can hook up the device from the JavaScript side. So, uh, yeah. So that is possible. But uh, then you will have at least be able to run Amiga stuff much more smoothly. And when you, if you're using Workbench, then you will have a, a virtual device that shows up. Uh, and then you can pick uh, one of the cloud uh, storage devices like... Uh, uh, the core device, of course, is the one that exposes a folder on the Node.js server. You know, so your own files on your own server. Uh, option, which is an option, of course. Uh, that's the main file system. And then, of course, you have Dropbox, which is super easy to, to connect to in JavaScript. So you use API of Dropbox or something like this too? Yeah. And then you just mount up. Uh, and then I, of course, have... We have... Uh, code for uh, you know device drivers in Amibian uh, that allows you to sort of abstract Amibian from whatever is actually storing the data. So uh, it simply says, you know, store this file data and uh, here's the file name. And then it uh, it's up to the driver to actually store the data somewhere. And uh, the same also when it needs the data, you know, give me this file or uh, cache this file in memory and then I can start reading from it. And so it's uh, the whole reading and I.O. mechanisms, create folder, remove folder, uh, enter folder, uh, get directory listings. Uh, all of those are in the drivers that we have. And then we have to implement uh, the middleware, so to speak, that talks to Dropbox, that talks to uh, uh, Google Drive, for example. All of that has to then be coded. Uh, but today that is actually super simple because uh, there are packages for everything. Uh, so you just you know download the Node.js package uh, for Dropbox, for example, and then it's just a matter of setting up uh, a shared a shared Dropbox folder, getting uh, the the public key, and then you can start using. It. So it okay, sounds good. And yeah, it's super easy. Um, to be user of this, do you all plan to? open beta or I don't know because the um, basically to use fully Amibian um, JS you need the user as I yeah. understand <laughs> yeah, <of laughs> when course. I saw the web page yeah. Yeah. yeah of course uh, well we're not at beta stage yet uh, at least not for you know the complex stuff so far it's more like uh, look what we can do <laughs> type project you know it's a you can run uh, UAE, you can, uh, then you have, of course, you have a few applications uh, on the right side, uh, sort of test applications. Uh, but the actual, <clears throat> uh, the actual API that, uh, for example, if you want, okay, I have downloaded Amibian GS, and I want to create my own applications for it. You need a programmer's API that is exposed that you can use. And you also need, of course, to, uh, to pick an application type uh, if you have an application that don't need to talk to the server, then uh, that will be super easy to, to code. If you need uh, server interaction, then of course, then you need to make that uh, uh, program type that I talked about earlier, you know, when half of it is on the server and half of mm. it is on. Yeah. So th that API has to be exposed. And uh, right now it isn't exposed. I've, uh, uh, I've actually been very good when I've been coding this because I've been uh, 
making sure that all the code is easy to expose to the programmer. Uh, and then, of course, we come to uh, the most exciting part, at least for me, uh, which is being able to write Amoebian programs using Amoebian. Uh, and this is something I've really been missing when, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think most programmers can recognize it. Like, um, um, you, you, whenever you go on vacation or someplace where you don't have a computer, you get all these fantastic ideas. <laughs> it's, it, it always <laughs> happens. Like uh, I was in Spain and I was sitting there and suddenly, oh yeah, yeah, I can do like that. Oh yeah, fantastic idea. And I didn't have a computer. The only thing I had was my iPad. Uh, but you can't really code on your iPad, right? So, uh, and that is something I really want. Uh, and I've actually started on it uh, with the code windows. You can see that if you, for example, if you go into DH0, the hard disk, and uh, there should be an application called smartcloudapp.pascal. And you will see this if you go into the website. And if you double click on that, you get uh, sort of Colder's view, uh, which is um, uh, it's a text editor called Ace, uh, which is a coding editor for JavaScript with uh, you know color coding of the commands and stuff like that. And uh, the next step, of course, is to have uh, uh, property inspectors and uh, turn this into you know proper programming studio, so to speak. Uh, so you will have a compile button, you will have uh, things like that. And then you can actually write JavaScript, of course, which is built in because it's a JavaScript system. Uh, or you can write Smart Pascal applications, which I think most people will find uh, interesting because it's uh, uh, much easier to learn. And it's also uh, much easier to write large applications in a classical uh, programming language. So uh, JavaScript is actually terrible when you <clears throat> when you're writing large applications. I mean, uh, if you look at the source code, for example, for some of the text editors that you can download, uh, there's actually a few text editors that are pr you know pretty close to OpenOffice, and and they're completely written in JavaScript, and it's a mess. It's a complete mess, uh, and they take a long time to create because. Uh, because of the way that JavaScript behaves, uh, in in Smart Pascal, that's just you know, you get to work with classes, you get to have inheritance. There's a completely different way of working with the information, so it's much faster to work with. Uh, the program is faster as well, I think. Yeah, it was not necessarily faster or slower. Uh, it compiles to. Uh, it compiles to a form of JavaScript which runs really fast and it's optimized, of course. Uh, but it's not faster than regular JavaScript. You know, it's, it's like saying uh, it's a C program faster than assembler. I mean, it's it's the same concept. It, it all bakes okay. down to, to JavaScript. But the techniques uh, is, of course, the second most important thing. You know, the techniques you use. Uh, for example, JavaScript doesn't really have a concept of a class. Uh, it has something called prototypes. Um, and you can do inheritance, but it's a bit fake because what you're doing is basically cloning prototypes. Uh, so what we did is that we introduced something called a VMT. Uh, and a VMT is uh, a fundamental part of uh, C++ and, <clears throat> and uh, Delphi and objects 
oriented languages as a virtual method table is, uh, is what it's called. So the code in a class, for example, is compiled once and uh, every object that you create in your program is uh, simply the data and then the data is sent into uh, this object. So the same code operates on all the instances, uh, including, of course, the inheritance chain. And it's, it's a bit complex to explain all of this, but uh, that, that's the way it works. So, so you get super fast. It really is super fast compared to uh, some of the other stuff out there. Uh, we also beat TypeScript with this uh, because the Smart Pascal was actually created before TypeScript. And um, uh, the guy that created TypeScript is uh, Anders Heilsberg, which is a Danish, uh, was a Danish citizen. Uh, he moved to the United States, uh, I think it was in the 80s, and he created uh, Turbo Pascal, and uh, then he created Delphi, and then Microsoft kidnapped him, and uh, <laughs> now he is the chief technical officer at Microsoft. And when they released TypeScript, he was on my blog and he left a little smiley. I'm just <laughs> bastard. <laughs> but yeah. it's just it's just friendly stuff. I mean, he he still keeps tabs on the Delphi, on the Delphi community because I think Delphi was you know the love of his life. Uh, he created. Uh, he spent so many years writing Delphi for Borland and the C plus plus builder, uh, and then he moved over to Microsoft because he didn't really have a chance. I mean, uh, Microsofts were going after Borland and they actually drove Borland uh, out of business. So it was, you know, you can join us or we can kill you, so to speak. Uh, so uh, the, the last thing ever did anybody heard from him was, you know, he Bill Gates actually picked him up personally uh, outside the Portland offices, and that was that was all she wrote. <laughs> so, but uh, I think he made uh, quite a fortune on this. But he's still active, and he's still uh, he's a very sort of playful guy and he likes to joke and stuff like that so I was actually surprised when I what he's been on my blog <laughs> but uh, we actually beat him to it when it came to um, the way that we do classes and uh, interfaces and stuff like that so so that was fun okay yeah. uh, maybe one more question connecting with the Amibian project you are yeah. on your own on writing this stuff or yeah It's uh, yeah. It's, it's, this has basically just been a hobby project for me, something I'm doing uh, uh, on the side. But of course, uh, you're not really alone when you're in a, a sort of a group, I guess you can call it. I mean, I talk with Unite on a daily basis and, and, and Thomas as well. And uh, whenever I have an idea or something, then of course it's it's natural to ask them, "What do you guys think?" Or, "Oh, look look what I try to make," and then they will of course say what they mean you know if it uh, if they don't like it oh it's shit delete it <laughs> uh, or uh, what are you doing it looks like an Atari you bastard and then you get those <laughs> funny guys you know they, they uh, yeah, so, yeah I remember uh, yeah so, and they don't hold they don't hold much back you know if they don't like something then you pretty much <laughs> you get told straight up so uh, so we have a have a great deal of fun there So it's not it's not disconnected from uh, the Amibian native uh, ideas, and uh, and Gunnar has been kind enough to set up uh, some of the Linux boot stuff uh, for Raspberry Pi. So we have that's how we have tested this on the Raspberry. 
uh, and it worked great. I mean, you can open windows, you can move things around, and you can uh, all the ordinary user stuff is fast enough. But the problem is when you start uh, the emulation. You know, uh, yeah, emula uh, emulating. Yeah, it needs power. Emulating an Amiga system in JavaScript on uh, $35 hardware. That's uh, this together sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great, but it's in practical terms. I mean, I'd, I'm a speed freak. You know, I love computers that run fast. You know, I, I spend a fortune on uh, fast PCs and stuff like that. But uh, so I really want something that. Uh, You know, really is fast. You know, for example, uh, the uh, the arrows so that was made for Raspberry Pi, that was super fast. You know, that's uh, you can't, and that's of, of course that is because this is uh, handwritten C code, uh, and then it's optimized. Uh, I'm guessing they're using an LLVM optimizer or something, but it really runs like the wind, uh, and you can't expect to get that type of uh, performance uh, from uh, a GS system. You can get pretty close to native, but uh, you, it won't be native. Uh, the benefit of a, of a JavaScript system is that it's portable. Platform is not an issue. Uh, you can run this on your TV. You can run it on your phone. You can run it. It doesn't matter as long as you have um, a modern browser. Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, that brings us back to the browser. So, so that was sort of the paradox here that, yeah, it looks like the Amiga, you know, Amiga OS 4.1, but you can't use Amiga 4.1 to look at it. <laughs> that was sort of the paradox. But uh, yeah. I think uh, there is work being done on the browser part uh, for Amiga OS. So, so that should be, should be okay in a while. Okay. Uh, so yeah. maybe mm, because, um, let's say, I have idea uh, let's call it Amiga OS 5 maybe it should be better because based even on Arrows Broadway or something like that to base like Apple did it the whole system on Linux kernel yeah. and yeah. make the Amiga feeling through the GUI and the, yeah. you know this uh, stuff Yeah. what do you think about this because for most of Amiga guy First use, for example, Intel is, uh, oh my God, and uh, drop the Amiga kernel and, you know, it's, uh, yeah. oh, I, will, yeah, I can I, be I, killed now. Yeah? <laughs> no, but I, I, I agree. I actually agree. I mean, this is a natural thought. Uh, and it's uh, why, what's the point of reinventing the wheel? Uh, you're not going to catch up with Uh, Linux toolbars when it comes to writing kernels. Uh, the guy has been doing this for what 20 years now, 15 years. Oh, more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you're not going to compete with that, and, and there's no point in competition because it's a free product. Uh, I have no idea how he's getting paid, but he is getting paid, and uh, he spent every day of his uh, his life coding, you know, a kernel. So he's good at that. So okay, let him do that. And uh, when it comes to the rest of Linux, uh, I'm not a big Linux guy, but uh, I have started to learn about Linux and the way that it's organized. And I've, I've actually seen Linux distributions that is as small as, you know, 20 megabytes. 20 megabytes. And that's the, that, you know, that gives you the kernel. It gives you, uh, you know, the, the subsystem of drivers, the most, you know, fundamental drivers that will make, make it work on uh, at least, you know, the the average PC, yep. unless you have something very peculiar or, or brand new or something that isn't supported. 
Uh, and that's that's great. You can we can actually have if somebody took the time, you can actually start with that. You know, fifteen or twenty megabytes. Fine, that's the that's the foundation, and that gives you a foundation to build something on top of that. You would probably need a few more packages to make sure that you are connected to you know the driver database. Uh, and I would hope that you would probably like to have uh, Aperture or uh, some of the package systems uh, available. But uh, you don't need to install X or uh, you know those large systems. You don't need that. Just leave that be and fine. Then you can go into native coding. Um, or actually, you can actually save time by having X there. Uh, you know, you don't have to deal with all the you know the frame buffer stuff and all that. But then you can take over, you know, shaping the desktop and mm-hmm. making it look Amiga, uh, and you can do like uh, like Android did. Android is uh, basically Linux. They they have done this. I mean, Android is now probably the most installed operating system for mobile devices in the world. And yes, it, for sure. yeah, and it's Linux. You know, the, 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 it builds on the kernel and a small subsystem of Linux, and then you have uh, a secondary layer of um, of, uh, of drivers and interfaces, and then you have Java. <laughs> 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 uh, and, uh, uh, but of course, Java was kicked out. Java was actually kicked out quite fast there uh, because Java bytecodes turned out to be ridiculous. You know, it's it's the pr- proverbial rape of the stack. I think so it the, was the in Android two, yeah, or something. Yeah, and then it's first, much yeah. better, yeah. Yeah, and then to they switched to, uh, to in native compiling. Uh, but if you look at how uh, Android is built up, uh, that's the way to go. And I think uh, I'm actually surprised that the Amiga community haven't done this before, uh, or at least after you know Android came out. Or I've been thinking about this for years. Uh, but it's still a pretty large task to do. I mean, uh, you have to create a window manager. Uh, connect that to tasks. You have to deal with threading, but, but it's easier done yes from scratch. Yeah, yeah, because most of this is uh, taken care of, or at least uh, there's a foundation for it in the kernel and stuff like that. You don't have to manually sit there and mess around with the tasks so much. Uh, you still have to, you know, hook up to the system and. I mean, the uh, the desktop has to know what processes are running, mm-hmm. right? And uh, there has to be a communication layer between the, the different processes and the desktop, uh, as well as very fast message, message systems. You know, they have to talk to each other. Um, but it's not magic. I mean, it's not like magic to create this. Uh, a couple of good uh, C programmers should, should be able to do this. Okay, uh, but uh, first... So I agree. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't. I think the most of our community will not agree ab- about this. Uh, I think they because yeah, you will get. I don't know. As, basically, I don't know what our community want to achieve. Maybe yeah. survive, but because this is connected the current situation, the, the classic is really popular yeah. and really vampire, for example, is really cool. We can talk about this as well. But then you have free ng system fighting each other because there is like this. Yeah. Or was like this. Uh, and basically 
it's 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 bad because uh, uh, the, I I have the feeling that the whole problem for the let's say Amiga in general, the new Amiga, is that from the let's say 2000 it was the fight between camps and mm-hmm. uh, and now really classic is popular and uh, nobody is care about this. I think technology just more super frogs say. Yeah. So when you bring the system based on Linux, uh... yeah, I have to be perfectly honest. I have never understood, you know, this sort of purist uh, tendencies that is in the Amiga, uh, and I, and I know we all have them. I mean, it's it's like my reaction to Atari, right? It's a, it's a, it's sort of programmed into you because you have been. Uh, you have been programmed by you know the the Commodore uh, machinery yeah. for so many years in your childhood that it, it's probably uh, stuck in your nervous system. But I I have never understood you know the purist uh, uh, because uh, the Amiga is separated from today's reality by so many years that you can't have a linear evolution. You know it's a uh, for example, uh, from what I've heard of uh, interview, in, you know, the interviews with some of the guys that worked at Commodore, they were one of the last things they were working on was the you know the AAA system, uh, which was supposed to be kind of like uh, like the PlayStation One or something mm-hmm. uh, in terms of and, and this Homebrew project, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really. I, I haven't really <laughs> got stuck into it, but I think yeah, those names have turned up. Uh, if that is AAA or Homebrew, I'm, I'm not sure. But I know that I they think were this working. Homebrew m- most. So yeah, okay, yeah. That break com- compatibility. This was like yeah. this, yeah. So, so that was actually the last thing they were doing. Were creating a system that would completely break with the 68K. So, the whole fight that oh, 68K is the only Amiga, and uh, and we need to have a linear evolution. No, you can't have that. You can't have that anymore because it's you know, separated with. Uh, almost two decades. It's uh, it's rubbish. And even if Commodore had survived, they would have broken compatibility and gone for Power PC, just like Apple did. And one of the reasons why they would have done that was also because of chip prices. They followed Apple, uh, and they would follow Apple because it made financial sense. Uh, Apple was huge, mm-hmm. and they pushed chip prices down, so it makes sense to follow them. Yeah, uh, and sort of piggyback on their success, uh, and I think that uh, the Commodore today, if they had survived, it would have been x86. Uh, and then, of course, you you get to the point. Apple actually gave up on creating an operating system. That that's why they switched because the old system couldn't be salvaged. It was uh, sort of potpourri. Uh, over budget. Yeah, it, like yeah, it was just a huge mess, and uh, the only way that they could uh, save this was to rewrite it from scratch, and they didn't have time for that. So uh, what they did, okay, fine, let's piggyback on something that is stable, that is, of course, you know, doesn't cost us anything, that we have full control over, blah blah blah, and that you can save uh, years of development, right? And that was Unix for them. So they took Unix, uh, and then they created Darwin on top of that, which yep. is what people think is Apple. Uh, and then they simply branded it as, you know, System X. Uh, or, yeah. 
and why can't somebody else do the same thing? You know, it's it's ridiculous. You know, sit there and spend. Uh, you're gonna handwrite a, a kernel. Uh, it's it's rubbish. And uh, the 68K, uh, you can order a couple of them now, I think, but in a couple of years, it will be empty. There won't be any 68 uh, that you can order anymore. Yeah. Uh, you, you can order them in uh, in their hundreds, I think, from Asia. Uh, so they're, they're still being produced. I think Samsung uses them in some yeah. dishwashers or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's actually it's true. I actually had a dishwasher with a 68K in it. I was standing yeah. there. Oh, my it's, God. It's cool. Yeah, put put boing on this. <laughs> yeah, get boing. We're <laughs> washing and stuff. Uh, but and it, it's, it's almost an insult. <laughs> Reduced to a washing machine. <laughs> but many of us will say that you have FP, FPGA, so yeah. Vampire, which is a great project. But oh, I yeah. think... This is the great project for the people that uh, in 90s have an opportunity to to use powerful Amiga, like 4000 with 060 or something. So compare uh, to a standard Amiga is amazing, but basically it's putting nothing new in the classic Amiga because you cannot no. put nothing new there. Yeah. The only way you can even actually put something new into the classic Amiga is if somebody went into uh, the operating system source code and you know started to evolve it from within and sort of bring it up to speed. But of course, that's where OS 4.1 is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a uh, yeah, like I said before, I don't understand what they're actually doing there, but. The FPH, FPGA system, I, I'm actually really love that. And I, but of course, for me, the Amiga isn't isn't really the games. I used to play a lot of games, of course, but for me, you know, the magic of the Amiga was the operating system uh, because I spent most of my time on the desktop programming, uh, and of course, the programming tools were all, you know, uh, desktop friendly. Yeah. Uh, Most of the programs I made were desktop friendly, uh, apart from you know the games and uh, and demos. So uh, I have the the same because I was yeah. mainly working on Amiga somehow, maybe yeah. not fully legal because I was too young to to work, but I was yeah. making some graphic. Um, so it was system friendly, and uh, I played <laughs> yeah. quite a lot. But then I passed this 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 period and. Uh, That's why, uh, really, I'm I'm amazed by Vampire because it's good price, graphic yeah. uh, board inside, cool. Yeah, but I, th- but, I but think the, I, yeah. So sorry, uh, I, th- I think the, I think the frustration, uh, at least, hopefully, I'm not the only one. But I think that the, the, the frustration with the classic Amiga OS is that it's so good. You know, I can start up uh, Win UAE and I have, you know, a perfectly set up Omega and stuff like that and a cool background and uh, and it's so good, but it, it it falls, you know, a little bit short. You know, you want it to, you want, you can almost start doing modern programming in it, but just just almost, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's an old system and uh, you start missing some of the modern features and uh, and, and I think that causes a lot of frustration at least it does for me because uh, I, you know I love the Amiga and uh, oh, I see this workbench and uh, it doesn't really re- require that much work to be up to date 
but nobody's doing it, right? Yeah. Uh, this is why it, I have absolutely no problem, for example, if the Amiga was running on, a, on an x86, uh, or if Amiga OS was ported to uh, ARM, for example. It, it, it would mean nothing to me. Because to me, the, the Amiga is the desktop. Uh, and everything else, you know, all the old games and uh, the things that we grew up with, you will always have that, you know, and it will always be there in uh, either through emulation or if you have an old Amiga and buy a vampire, then you will have this, you know, this super Amiga, yeah. uh, a classical and that is compatible and stuff like that. It is, uh, uh, okay, let's move on. I mean, let's, uh, let's build something. Let's take that, all the good stuff that we remember and try to implement that in a new way and make it survive, you know? The only way to make it survive isn't to make it exclusive and, uh, uh, you know, sell Amiga parts for $500 when they cost 25 to begin with, you know, the, the collector stuff and the, yeah, you know, the, the, the scavengers on eBay and stuff like that. I don't, that is actually killing it. That is slowly eroding away because but you might love the Amiga, but if you can't afford to actually get one, I mean, uh, then you uh, then you only have one way to go, and that is emulation. So it's a, why not embrace that and say, okay, fine, uh, we need something new. And the FPGA can deliver that, but I think that you, for my personal taste, I would actually like something that's a bit faster. Um, I don't know enough about FPGA to uh, do anything but make assumptions, but I would assume that some of the more expensive models will actually have better performance uh, and I'm, yes I know all about you know the gates and some say you can't change the performance you have to change the way the gates or the way your architecture is but um, it has been said by a few few of those that work on FPGAs that uh, yes you can buy more expensive models and uh, the metal in the gates or whatever is different more costly and they respond faster or something. I, I don't know. But I would assume that a, uh, a system that costs you know, $4,500 uh, has better performance than something that costs $400. <laughs> it's, uh, I would have some assumption there. So, uh, so surely if somebody took um, uh, Amiga OS, not the classical, but the modern one that you can actually work on, and stuff that in an FPGA, then sure, why not? I would buy that if if it was in you know a reasonable price range, you know, mm-hmm. four hundred or a thousand dollars or something for power power version, then sure. But I would also buy uh, a high end emulated system as long as it ran, you know, as long as you can do some sort of work on it, you can actually use it for something practical. And uh, so I'm actually hoping that maybe Trevor. Uh, would consider, for example, an x86 version uh, because if the OS is becomes popular, uh, and it, there are many things about Amiga OS that would make it popular, you know, ease of use, um, it's uh, the way some things work, you know, the file system, how uh, how it's organized. It's uh, it's a lot easier, for example, to learn how Amiga OS operates than, for example, Linux. Uh, if you don't know anything about uh, 
Linux and you look at the way the folders are organized, mm. you, you have no clue what goes where. Yeah, yeah. and, and they, are, they are changing this as well. So yeah. yeah, and if you, if you look at the, you know, the Amiga and you look at the folders of oh, devs, okay, I would guess that is device drivers. And then you, you, can, you can do a bit, fair bit of guessing. It's intuitive to work with. Uh, and, and that alone is something that I think can help it. And uh, uh, you know, the friendly look and uh, the way things work, it's a, it's a great operating system. And I, th- and I think that it had this been spread, had we gotten this for x86, of course, a ton of Amiga guys would have you know, switched to it or at least installed it. Uh, and if they then started to bring over you know, some heavy software so that you can actually work on this, uh, open office, uh, all the browsers, uh, port over a lot of stuff from Linux, uh, a lot of cool, uh, cool stuff is uh, on Linux. Uh, for example, some of the... Uh, programming editors, for example, out of there, Eclipse, you know, get all of those over so that you can do those, uh, so that you can actually use it to work. And then you can take all of that and, of course, create Amiga-specific applications. Yep. Give people an incentive to buy the Amiga OS. I think that would be a much more successful successful way to go. But um, we will see. I mean, if the the Tabura is a hit, uh, whenever it comes out, and... uh, Maybe that will work as well. Uh, let's have a hope. Uh, I, I think basically um, when you, we would like completely migrate current Amiga OS or like Morpheus theoretically is doing this. Yeah. And they, they switch to AMD processor. But the, I have the feeling because the quantity of developers, uh, I think this maybe the system can be ported. But mm. software, nobody will port. Basically, when you take a look, what is let's say on IMNet, mm. which version that abandoned, uh, abandoned, abandoned, oh fuck, <laughs> abandoned. And yeah, software is that nobody will port it, or you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, so I don't see this. Well, uh, it depends on you know porting old software. I don't know if it's is it any point. I mean, uh, it, it depends, of course. I mean, take, you know, I mean, Sound Tracker and Pro Tracker and those applications, those have already been ported uh, to different systems. You even have a JavaScript version for it. So I actually have Pro Tracker running in, in Amelian. So is it porting those applications? I mean, uh, how can I explain it? I guess you, ha- you have to find people that have a passion for it, you know? Uh, nobody's going to port Blitz Basic, for example, unless you really love it. You know, yep. uh, and the same also with the ProTracker and Lightwave or whatever is uh, it, it has to be something that you really love to work with uh, and that you want to get over to that platform. And that is something that the Amiga community has an abundance of. Uh, I don't think you or I have at least never seen a community that has so much passion for uh, a computer ever. And, and, I, and I've been doing programming now since I was a kid and I've uh, developed for many different systems uh, over the years and I've never seen something like uh, you know the Amiga people grown up men that actually get upset you know physically upset uh, over a, over a platform for example that's uh, that's quite unique so I would think that actually we have the resources to do this but there has to be a consensus uh, right now, there's too many opinions running around, and uh, yeah. so we need the guy that can. Yeah, we need somebody. To, yeah, we need somebody who can uh, 
uh, first create a platform and then getting developers interested, I think it should be easy if they do it the right way. You have to make it available. Uh, for example, I couldn't do much with, uh, with for example, Eros until Free Pascal was ported. Uh, I could, you know, sit and play around and see, but uh, you, you have to remember that some of these high-level languages or medium-level languages are extremely productive. Uh, you can do things in uh, a thousand lines of code that would take you maybe, you know, seven thousand lines of code in another language. Uh, so you, that's the first thing they need to get over. They have to get the development tools available and not play favoritism. You know, uh, if all you know is C, C++, uh, then you can't be arrogant about it. You know, like, oh, we're only going to use C in this system because most of the, the applications in the world are actually not programmed in C. They're programmed in every other language. Um, uh, for example, we noticed this when uh, after Microsoft killed off Borland, uh, it turned out that uh, I think it was something like one third of the Windows portfolio was actually written in Delphi, Delphi and C, Delphi and C++ builders. So they shot themselves in the leg. And uh, so building a community for OS4, for example, they have to get the, the they have to forget. Uh, of course, now it's too late. They need to focus on the browser now. But the first thing I would do was okay, let's leave everything alone and get the development tools over. Uh, spend six months porting uh, the, the open source Blitz basic sources, for example. Get that over because there are so many people who are playing around with Blitz basic and also a lot of kids. You need to, something that kids can use. Something that, oh, if I buy an Amiga, then it's so easy to create games that uh, all the indie developers get interested, you know? Mm-hmm. And get, uh, you know, Free Pascal and uh, all those type languages over as well, because those are extremely productive to create business applications, desktop applications. Uh, so you get, you know, the huge productive side. Uh, and of course, cater to uh, C++ developers who do, you know, the core development of the operating system and low-level drivers and stuff like that. But you have to get the developers interested. Otherwise, it's... Uh, and that's, that's I think, is where... Uh, they haven't paid too much attention. Yeah. I really, ho- I really hope that they take a time out and say, "Okay, what do we need to build critical mass?" Uh, and they need to get developers over. But uh, Morphos as well has uh, sort of failed in that department. Uh, Arrows has been better. They've, uh, I think, one of the first systems that they took over was Free Pascal. So the first, and this is it's sort of typical as well for different Linux distros. You know, first you get GCC. Then you get Free Pascal, and then all the other systems come, like Node.js and system, systems like that. But uh, but yeah, get that over, and also think about the fact that kids today they grow up with you know JavaScript, for example. So uh, the V8 JavaScript engine that's like uh, 400k or something. It's it's very small. Mm, I heard about this. Just the JavaScript yeah. engine is very small. It, it shouldn't really be that hard porting that over and integrating JavaScript, for example, into the OS so that people can write extensions in JavaScript as well. I mean, you have now millions of kids that are really good JavaScript programmers. They don't know anything else. 
But if you get them to come over to the system and recognize that, oh, on this system I can do something really cool with the skill that I have, I think that would also be very important. Okay. Because you see, so- you, see, you see that with, for example, FriendOS as well. The only real language that they have is, of course, JavaScript. Uh, and then they can build other languages on top of that. But uh, And that is something that they have as a very good selling point, that uh, if you know JavaScript, you can create applications, which is really great. And it's the same also with Amibian. If you know JavaScript, then you can create applications. But we're also going to put in, you know, open uh, or, or free Pascal. And uh, we also have a bytecode engine which allows us to implement things like this basic and Amos basic and stuff like that. But I think that is the first thing you have to do. Otherwise, you won't be able to build up, you know, a critical mass of developers. You have to get the developers in there. Okay, so this yeah. is... Um, Otherwise, it won't work. Okay, yeah, yeah be, be, because it looks like it's not working. And uh, yeah. I think what you are talking is you have a lot of rights. So... Connecting this, let's say, two things, it looks like uh, there is no plan what to do with, let's say, Amiga yeah. systems or whatever. Well, I, I think there are many plans that are colliding. Uh, the plan, the plan that I have liked the most, uh, to be perfectly honest, is the one that Trevor has, because he is backing it up with. Uh, action. Uh, he is backing it up with uh, the money that he has, he has in, invested in this, and he's creating physical hardware. Uh, so you have actually something tangible to to deal with. Uh, and once you get the hardware, then of course the software part comes in. And I think he tried to time it. I'm not sure. I think there's been it has probably been uh, a few problems he has had to solve along the way. Uh, But he is, uh, he is doing the only thing that is reasonable if you want a new hardware platform. And something, uh, something that is, uh, for example, a Tabor is uh, something that is uh, fairly cheap, uh, $400, something around that, mm-hmm. for, a computer, for a computer system. Uh, it is reasonable. It is, uh, has a good operating system, etc. And the only thing that is missing, in my view, is... Yeah, the, the programming tools. Uh, right now, they only have GCC. There's also a test version of FreePascal, the one that I'm hopefully taking over after a while. Uh, but they need to get more stuff in there, uh, and uh, you know, create bundles. You know, the developer bundle, uh, uh, graphics bundle, for example. Uh, I mean, I could probably code uh, a copy of uh, DPaint in 14 days or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's so simple. I mean, get those applications in there, you know, make sure that uh, people can get creative. Uh, yeah, th- basically, uh, this is music. what Apple is do- Apple was is, doing. Yeah, the, the, they, they, make, they make it like that you think that you are creative. <laughs> Maybe like yeah, but Apple, yeah, they have this, uh, <laughs> this image. Think different, but uh, yeah. in the end, they are more similar than anybody else. <laughs> Apple is, uh, I'm not too keen on you know the Apple system, but uh, at least not as a developer, because once you get boxed into the developer system there, and uh, all the certificates and the sort of boxed-in control that Apple have over you is not something I... Uh, I i enjoy, so I actually stopped making software for Apple for a while. Uh, 
but yeah, but the idea that you actually have a computer where you can be creative—that is—that is basically what I love about the Amiga. That uh, it was so easy to do stuff. Yeah, basically, uh, this was why yeah. we are so good now because yeah. the Amiga was creative platform. Yeah? Yeah, you can do so much, uh, so much stuff. And there was, uh, I mean, you had you know three or four different paint applications if you want to work with graphics. You had uh, even assemblers. I mean, you have uh, three or four different assemblers. Uh, I only remember two of them right now, but there were different you know uh, things you could do. Uh, and you had the whole spectrum of languages from assembler all the way up to uh, to I think Modula, or Modula two or something. You know, which was probably where it ended for the classical Amigas. Uh, and then, of course, C++ came along, uh, late 80s, starting of the 90s. Uh, you know, you had SAS, C++. Yep. Uh, and then you had, uh, I think I actually had one here, and that is Storm. Yeah, Storm, Storm C++. C++ yeah. And so you had, a, you know, they started on the objective, uh, or the object-oriented languages, and then it sort of died out. But, uh, yeah, you could do anything. Even if you even if all you had was Amiga basic, you can still create some pretty awesome stuff. Uh, I actually know a guy in Finland who created his entire business using Amiga basic, uh, and it was a school system. It was a sort of a grade system uh, for uh, all the pupils in the school, uh, and they started on an Amiga 500 in Amiga basic, and they sold this product to pretty much every school in Finland. Uh, and then they moved it to the PC, and it was rewritten in uh, in Pascal, first in Turbo Pascal, and then later in Delphi. Uh, and now it's uh, it has been rewritten in Smart Pascal, which is the, the product I made. So it's uh, it has you know the whole <laughs> the whole evolution. But the point is that on the Amiga you can do all these things. And when I sit down with uh, always 4.1 today uh, it's, a, it's something that is missing you know it's uh, oh you have to buy the extra bonus pack oh great yeah, uh, yeah. you get into that the whole uh, it's, uh, there should be some sort of creativity out of the box you know you can download of course you know the, the, the SDK and the developer tools but those yeah, yeah. are but low the, level it, it should be like uh, I, I, it it looks like I'm a big fan of Apple in this situation, but <laughs> I I would copy them in in many things, yeah. and uh, I would copy copy them as well with the let's say software side. So after that, I bought the X5000 that I ha- had pre-installed system, but mm-hmm. in funny way. Yeah, so reformat and do it on your own. But it yeah. should be done out of box. I have the system, I have the browser, I have the uh, music program, video editor, yeah. and uh, like Apple do it. I, I yeah. don't know nothing, power on, everything, yeah? Yeah, it should be, uh, or at least it should be available very easily. Like, for example, you know, the first time you start this up, uh yeah, check mark what you yes. want. Yeah, what do you want to download now? You want uh, productivity software? Uh, would you like office software? Would you like blah blah blah? But of course, I can understand, uh, uh, you know, those that made the, uh, the operating system. That this has been a work of passion for them. I can imagine they spent quite a long time doing it. Yep. And uh, writing an operating system is huge. It's probably one of the most complex things you can do as a programmer. 
that and writing compilers, for example, is a recursive nightmare, so to speak. So, so getting that right is uh, is a huge achievement. But uh, of course, if you don't have uh, millions in the bank, you don't have the resources to take it one step further. Then I think they felt like, okay, we have created the operating system, we have done our part. You know, this has been a marathon. Uh, and then give that to the Amiga community, and uh, I actually think that OS4 should be praised. I mean, it's a, it looks fantastic. It uh, has a lot of modern features, uh, and I can imagine uh, if they have retained some of the old uh, architecture, like you know, intuition and the way that you used to um, uh, sort of interact with the operating system in your code. Uh, the Amiga OS was uh, an excellent platform to work on. It was great. You know, it was very easy to program stuff, uh, doing some of the more complex things, things that is a nightmare to do on Windows, for example, if you're doing low-level stuff, message ports and everything. That was so easy to do on the Amiga, and I think that they will score a lot of points there, but they really need to get, you know, (laughs) productivity software. uh, If not free, at least uh, a light version or something that they can ship with the operating system or that is available uh, and like you say, you know the the standard uh, things that you need. You know the browser that that should be the should be the first thing. Or yeah. <laughs> after after programming languages, get a good browser in there. That should have been there ages ago. Uh, I was actually surprised to learn that that wasn't in the package. Uh, so I said, "What? They're still using it? Oh, uh, also yeah, so, you somebody was a web or something? Uh, uh, yeah, also- but uh, basically there is a." Eyebrows, but you must Eyebrows, install yeah. it from extras, so it's yeah. not standard installed. I think yes. So, so first mistake somehow or misunderstood, yeah. uh, and this eyebrows is working like uh, Edge in Windows now. So yeah. basically, everybody used it to download the Firefox. Uh, and I browse it, it's used to download Odyssey. Yeah? yeah. I actually have a browser that I could port over. Uh, it, uh, it's not WebKit, it's actually something that is coded in Object Pascal. Uh, I have it running on Free Pascal, actually. Uh, the, the only thing that is time consuming, and that probably take a while to implement that, is the JavaScript side. Uh, so I hooked it up with the, the V8 engine, but of course you have to expose all the objects. You know, in JavaScript, you have objects like, you know, window, mm. for example. Yeah. So that has to be defined in the JavaScript engine and then exposed to the script. But uh, I have the rend- rendering engine, actually, to Let's render see. WebKit. So, yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's uh, completely portable. Uh, it compiles under Free Pascal and Delphi, and it's really fast. So it's pretty good. Uh, I didn't write all of it uh, so I can't take full credit uh, for it. It's actually uh, it's actually a product for Delphi. If you don't want to, you know, bundle. If you don't want to use uh, Internet Explorer to display HTML. If you don't want to use uh, Chromium embedded uh, or some sort of WebKit thing or Firefox, then you can embed, you know, this is a component. So you it's know, and it's ported over easy. I was thinking even that maybe something like uh, like this, for example could be released one time in a year and sold for small 
point of I don't know money 20 euros in yeah. year and maybe this will encourage somebody to do it because uh, let's say I, I hope the, yeah. the community will buy it because uh, after the Dropbox uh, for Amiga that made the Norbert and yeah. almost nobody bought it I'm really afraid that this community is really well, interested only in nostalgia yeah, yeah? I think there's a lot. I think there's both ways, but I, I also think that you know the days of public domain is over, so to speak. Uh, not not public domain, but you know the the idea that you buy shareware, I guess, uh, is mm, what it would yeah. be. I think those days are over uh, because uh, people are so used to open source now that you know it should be some things they. They are so used to things being free. For example, a browser. Yeah. So the idea of paying twenty dollars for, even if it's the only browser you can get, uh, sort of make people, oh, you know, they, I'm not going to pay for that. It should be free. And I think that is uh, sort of infested. Uh, it has killed off the shareware market to some extent. Uh, except there's plenty of indie games and uh, things like that that are still kind of shareware but uh, today we use backers instead uh, yeah true backers, yeah, so they make money so uh, but for, for my personal uh, I wouldn't really take any money off it so uh, one of the first thing I'm going to port over is of course the HTML rendering engine uh, probably also the JavaScript engine but I have no hardware so I can't do it uh, <laughs> so, so the moment I get uh, my hands on uh, get my hands on a, a Tableau or something then I can start porting over stuff uh, and also an IDE for uh, a better IDE for Free Pascal because Lazarus is yeah ancient so we need something a bit more modern uh, and then, I, then you can start looking at Uh, open Office, for example, just to take that mm. as an example, you have Open Office packages that have also been written in Object Pascal, uh, which are mm. free. So, okay. getting yes. good software, porting it back from the PC now is, you know, I'm sitting here with a ton of software that could easily be ported over. Uh, but the infrastructure isn't there, you know, uh, like we've been talking about, you know, yeah. it just it doesn't the, the, exist. So. I start to understand. Why, uh, for for Amiga, is um, basically this Firefox port, yeah, or yeah. the Timberwolf? Now LibreOffice is is born in such a pain, and it takes yeah. five years because uh, because like, like I said, I'm developer uh, noob 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 in the developer's world or something like that. So yeah. now I understand we don't have the tools to do it fast. No, even, yeah, yeah. It's a- There's something about the tools. Of course, you have uh, you have the basic C++ compiler, right? Uh, GCC is there, and that's a that's a huge tool chain with a lot of different tools. But uh, I mean, look at Visual Studio, for example. I mean, it's uh, it's so easy to use. You just fire it up, and you have a ton of wizards and stuff, and you can put together software really fast. Uh, and it's the same with Delphi. You fire it up, you have 10,000 different projects you can make. Uh, so they need to get something like that over a good IDE. Make it easy to to create programs, uh, plenty of wizards for porting over code and stuff like that, and then then you will see programs appearing. But they also have to get away from 
uh, you know, the C, C++ uh, church, so to speak. You know, we only do C++ because that's not what people use today to write programs, you know. Uh, even 20 years back, it was, you know, Pascal was there and a ton of other languages that have evolved side by side with C++. And people use that for productivity. And uh, I think today on Windows and Mac, uh, pure C, C++ applications are, you know, that's a small percentage of uh, the applications that you can buy. Most of them are written in other languages. So um, so they need to get those tools into there. Even, even Java, I can stand Java, but even Java has to be there. Because yeah, yes, because uh, I would like to say that this Java idea I really like. I'm maybe not so big fan of Java because I meet Java in my work, and yeah. this is heavy applications, and this is so fucking slow. Yeah. Uh, but basically, first, like you said, this can be easy to young people to do something. Yeah. But I think maybe this can open. Um, business market for this because of the let's say this industry 4.0 that every, everything goes to internet cloud the factories yeah. are automated and yeah. basically in companies it's a lot of things based on java because it's yeah it's, it's, uh, fast, it's easy to do i think yeah yeah it's uh, java is sort of going down now you know it's a it's the, it's the evolution that uh, most products have you know they they build up and build up and then they become super popular and then it slowly goes down again you know down to a normal level of uh, of users uh, and it's the same with c sharp as well you know that mm-hmm. is enjoying sort of the limelight now and then it will start to fade down again uh, until something else comes along Uh, but yeah, Java is remarkably used still, even after all the problems uh, that have been there. Uh, it's not really welcome anymore on mobile devices because uh, the way that it uses the stack and the way that it uses um, the garbage collection, it causes uh, CPU spikes. So you can really, you know, suddenly you get a spike and the device will lock up, or uh, you drain yeah. you, dra- you drain your battery, for example, very yeah. quickly. I, I think this is Android 2.0. I remember this. Yeah, this yeah. But it, it's also happened on happens on servers, and it, it's it's been a huge mess. You know, banks, uh, at least in Scandinavia, has kicked them out because it's, it's been unreliable. Uh, but if we look away from that and say, okay, there's there's a lot of Java developers out there who, and and we could use their their, their competence. You know, they are, they might be Java programmers, but they're but they're still good developers. Yeah. And you need to get those developers. So even if, even if you can't stand Java, you have to include them. You know, it's like democracy. You can't exclude <laughs> people you don't like. You have to include them, even though you might not share their opinions. And um, C sharp as well. I mean, uh, the mono, uh, the mono runtime system is actually very small. Uh, there's just there's a small core library that's written in, in C. Uh, and then the rest of C sharp is actually written in C sharp. So once you port over, you know, the, the foundation stone, so to speak, then uh, the rest of the house follows. So they should spend a lot more time getting those things over. You know, uh, at least you know C sharp, Java, and uh, and three Pascal. If they have those three, and also perhaps uh, get uh, a good IDE like Eclipse, for example, uh, port that over, or uh, hopefully maybe something better. Uh, or at least at least code blocks, you know, something that is easy to use, 
get that over and uh, link them up so that you can use different languages. Make it super easy for people to create Amiga programs. Then things will definitely change. Uh, because then you get, okay, you get Java developers and they at first they might you know insist on using Java, but sooner or later they will be tempted, oh yeah, maybe C++ is the way to go. Or hey, we can port this to Free Pascal. And then you get all those cool ports over and you get people interested. And uh, But right now, the first language, I would say, is Get Free Pascal because there's so many, there are you know, millions of users around the world and it's an excellent language to learn. But equally important is JavaScript. That should be system-wide. Uh, if I was to pick a single system to port over now, it will probably be JavaScript, no GS. Get Node.js into the system. Um, that is actually a lot more important than Python, for example. Um, yeah, Python is script language, typically. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a great scripting language, and you can it's uh, fantastic to uh, do automation with. It's uh, so it's a super scripting engine. But uh, right now, uh, if you're going to capitalize on what is happening, you know, with the with cloud and uh, general application making. Get JavaScript and get it into the system. You know, uh, get it into shell, so you can you don't don't have it as an sort of external. Mm, understand. All bolted into the system, and uh, and also of course the ability to write uh, extension and commodities for the desktop uh, using JavaScript, for example, uh, and uh, it should perhaps replace parts of uh, RxX. Uh, or at least be molded together with it so that you have the automation side, but also the ability to easily uh, create cool stuff. Uh, Again, this is yeah. like Apple script, uh, I, I think is doing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of the same thing. But uh, I mean, if you look at, the, if you Google JavaScript, uh, and you can Google anything, JavaScript clock, uh, JavaScript rotating something, Uh, you will find a thousand different. I mean, it's so easy to find JavaScript code that does something. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you have this bolted into the system, you can then leverage all of that. You can go out there and find a, a small snippet that does something, and you can include that uh, and uh, build up very quickly. And I think this is the uh, as well interesting because let's say when I write a game on the JavaScript, I can sell it on Amiga OS and on the other platforms. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm not too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you get, you get the, game, the games over, and uh, once you get people wanting to write games, I mean, uh, like I said, the V8 engine is very small. If you if you rip out all the browser stuff and just look at the JavaScript engine, it's very small. It's uh, extremely tight code, but it's, it should be portable within a very reasonable amount of time. And then you can expose objects, you know, and then you can, uh, for example, for Amiga, um, hook up JavaScript with some of the hardware accelerated stuff that is available in the operating system so that JavaScript games will run 10 times faster on the Amiga than it would do on uh, a box standard PC or something. You know, make it exciting. Mm. Uh, and if they bolt this into the system, uh, they would have a, <laughs> a winning formula, I think, because JavaScript will then be a natural part of the system and you can do so much with it. 
And then, it, of course, it is a natural evolution to go uh, interact with cloud services, for example. Imagine if you could actually sit down with a, uh, a simple editor and write, write the driver that talks to uh, Dropbox, for example. You, d- you d- wouldn't need uh, external drivers for, uh, you know, REST services and uh, online services. You can actually write them in JavaScript, and then you can mount them up when the OS starts. You know, you don't, you don't need native code to talk to a REST service on the other side of the planet, uh, or a SOAP service, or a WebSocket, or something like that. All of this can now be done in JavaScript. And that would actually save... Uh, Amiga OS and uh, uh, and the guys that's working on the API, it would save them a lot of time because you wouldn't have to have a specialist working for them, right? Yep. Uh, if you have a clean API for uh, calling up uh, REST services, for example, then the average JavaScript programmer can do this for you. Uh, you can take, you know, a good JavaScript programmer will be able to write drivers to interact with. I think there's like 50 different storage services, uh, cloud services. Uh, I actually implemented a, a driver in, uh, I was using FreePulseCall for uh, Amiga Classical uh, last weekend. So I ported over, uh, there's a Delphi package called uh, TMS Cloud Package, which has uh, roughly 50, I think, uh, cloud drivers. Uh, and I was uh, I was bored, <laughs> so I figured, okay, let's see if we can make this work on the Amiga. And uh, yeah, Free Pascal aced it. So it, uh, with a small bit of work, you can actually now mount up all of those different services on the Classic 68. But if you had similar uh, functionality, we're just talking about REST functionality, mm-hmm. uh, calling web services, simple uh, Node.js web sockets. I mean. This isn't like magic. If you had that built into Amiga OS, then you wouldn't need Free Pascal. You wouldn't need uh, C++ to do those things. And then, of course, you need a mounting system so these things can be mounted, and voila, you can have cloud storage that anybody can update. So, yeah. I think the Trevor should listen this episode. <laughs> Just copy-paste <laughs> ideas. I've talked to Trevor about this before, and uh, I understand his position because I mean, th- there are tons of stuff that you don't see when you're not, you know, working at a company. For example, there's a there's a a lot of uh, paperwork and uh, a lot of factors you have to calculate for that. Of course, uh, when you have an idea like I presented now, uh, you don't have to care about the details. But uh, uh, but he was very positive to those kind of things. But before that can happen, there's a ton of you know stuff that has to be in place. So from a business point of view, so the, uh, the, about this JavaScript, the, um, there is the Qt um, port f- for something on Amiga OS four, and okay, yeah. let's say it it works like this is is somehow integrated, not maybe fully, but uh, but still is. Five years old again, yeah? yeah. Yeah. But thanks to this, you can have some application from Qt, yeah. yeah? So it's okay. yeah, uh, yeah. But no, it's I not official, it's, yeah. Uh, I know that Qt has a JavaScript engine. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't studied it, but I know they have, you know, like web views, and uh, and that is actually a good point. Uh, that there's a lot of people working in, you know, the Qt or Qt or however you pronounce it. 
uh, environment now that are writing hybrid applications only. So most of the work is done in JavaScript. Uh, and then you just have, you know, a native uh, sort of bootstrap that uh, starts the system. So, that, so I guess, yeah, maybe Qt is, uh, is a good example on uh, how you can build an infrastructure, develop an infrastructure where you can do native development, but you can also, you know, save a lot of time by using uh, a JIT compiled system like JavaScript. Uh, so, yeah, but it has to be maintained, you know, five years old, that's, uh, that's, yeah. an, that's ancient in terms of <laughs> development there. So yeah. um, I, I know this is the, the, the biggest problem, but uh, I think maybe we should start to finish because it's almost three yeah. hours. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Uh, and I think we can continue more, but uh, the, the yeah. audience can die with <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, But the, let's say something like last question, the yeah. future of operating system, uh, it will be more, I think it will be more like uh, Amibian Uh, your your work or friend up yeah not your yeah. work <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so cloud cloud based uh, web system you know uh, so the and again Apple shows that they going in this direction probably so do you think this happens like this because basically now nobody cares in which operating system you are working the application or apps are important yeah yeah uh well i don't think that native is ever going to disappear because that is you know the that is the native uh, that is sort of the nature of computing you can't get away from the fact that there is a cpu that's going to run this code uh but i think that it will uh native programming is probably going to go a bit in the background you know uh it, it used to be Native programming used to be sort of uh, something that engineers did, uh, and then suddenly it became somebody that something that everybody could do. You know, uh, with the Amiga and Commodore 64, suddenly the whole world of uh, of engineering was you know available to everyone. Uh, and I think maybe that the companies now are actually deliberately trying to separate the engineers from the hobbyists, so to speak. Uh, for example. Java and .NET is uh, isn't as portable as people uh, would hope for. For example, when Microsoft say that uh, .NET supports many different operating systems, they're not talking about other operating systems. They are talking about different versions of Windows. Yeah, so it's it's a bit sneaky. But if you can get uh, millions of users to only know bytecode, they don't know Assembler if their life depended on it then you create a dependency system where uh, the guys that know real programming will, of course, have an exclusive situation or position. Uh, so they have been working uh, a lot on that system. And Microsoft's ultimate game plan, and they have been open about this for yeah, since the beginning, is uh, renting software. So that is why they were so desperate to get 
uh, Java, and uh, later they created .NET. It has to do with their renting ideas and models. And you you see this already today with uh, Office 365, for example. That you have yeah. a license, you you pay you you pay for services uh, mm. one year ahead, right? The same AWS and so yeah. on. Yeah. But it's basically what you're doing is renting it. Uh, because the moment your license expires, you lose access to everything, right? And that is a renting model, and they've been working very hard to realize that. Uh, when it comes to operating systems in the future, I think that uh, you, you're never going to get away from native, but I think it will be more in the background. I think that you will have standard modules, like Linux, for example. You can cherry-pick the modules you, you need to have as a mm. foundation. And then I think uh, the concept of desktop is going to become more specific. Um, for example, um, Netflix, for example, can also be seen as a type of desktop, right? Uh, where, you, mm. where you work with movies. Movies and browsing around uh, a menu is basically what you do. The same, it's, it's the same you see uh, also in... Uh, uh, you know, game emulation systems. You know, every game emulation system suddenly looks like Sony PlayStation, <laughs> where you can you know go back and forth and pick the game you want if it's MAME or whatever, and cool background graphics and stuff like that. So I think that you're going to see a lot of specifics uh, where you have you know the same foundation, but you have different adaptations of of the top. Um, uh, and this is something that I think you know, friend OS can do a lot of good there because they can adapt, for example, um, to well, let's say you have a company, right, a large company, and the people that work there are going to have a specific amount of uh, applications to work with. You know, access to company mail, uh, access to a browser, uh, productivity software that you use, maybe to write letters and write documentation and stuff like that then you can sort of tailor a desktop, just like you would do, for example, with Windows today, with large, you know, Citrix mainframes and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it would, of course, be a lot cheaper if they could all run, uh, you know, JavaScript and basically exist in the cloud. That would be a lot uh, more cost-effective. But I think that uh, operating systems, the way that we know them today, I, I don't think they're going to disappear, but they're going to fade into the background. And you will see a lot of hybrid systems where, uh, you know, the desktop is written in um, a virtual language of sorts. It'll be Java, JavaScript, or uh, C-sharp or something. Uh, and then the native part is going to, over the next, you know, 20 years, go back to being an engineer uh, discipline. Uh, but that's my my personal view on it. But uh, mm-hmm. I might I might be completely wrong, of course. Uh, I get the sense that that is what happened. You're getting a, a sort of separation between the, the hobby developer and the, the real developer, so to speak. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Okay, so hmm, do do I have to ask you something more, or I, I of course, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I think we should finish uh, slowly. So um, maybe the the best the, the your the best game of of Amiga. It's maybe Super Frog because it's more po- most popular. Well, not for me. I, uh, I'm a June June guy. <laughs> June two. <Okay. laughs> I think I spent uh, more time than anything on June. 
uh, and uh, the game that I'm actually really eager to try now uh, is uh, Rocket Ranger. Uh, okay, that was okay. that that was the first game that I actually bought that I uh, paid money for. <laughs> One of the few games I paid money for, uh, Rocket Ranger, and. Uh, I haven't played that since I was a kid, and uh, I have it available, of course, in in, uh, in Vin UAE, but I've deliberately not played it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when I bought the Amiga 1000, and uh, I'm just waiting for a scan doubler now, uh, so I can get the monitor going, and then that's going to be the thing I'm I'm going to try uh, because I have so fond memories of it. Uh, other than that, I really loved uh, supercars. Supercars was really, really fun. But uh, when I tried that as an adult, I was just like, oh, it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) You you remember it as, wow, look at the cars. They they run so fast and it was so much action. And now it's just... So it was a bit of Basically, uh, two weeks ago or three, the guy asked me, I make some movie uh, for for YouTube with Amiga shooters, 3D, gloom and so on. And I remember it... Uh, amazing, yeah. Especially breathless or uh, something like like <laughs> high level, and you run this on emulation or, or on modern LCD. Uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. And the pixels are big like a cow. And <laughs> yeah. How yeah, you can like, play it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that as well. Uh, I, was, I was so disappointed because. Uh, I was running, I think it was uh, one of the first, you know, Doom clones, uh, Gloom, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, Gloom, Gloom, Gloom. Yeah, and I had, uh, had an Amiga 1200 and uh, it's a 6830 processor or something. Uh, I seem to remember it's a, it's a long time ago. And I was expecting, yeah, now we have, you know, the PC gamers, shut up, we now. And then I started and I was like, oh my God, you know, it was a tiny, tiny window with some poor 3D graphics and, uh, uh, a friend of mine had, uh, I think it was a 386 or 486 PC, and it was running on you know, full screen. Uh, and I was just, oh man, that was cool. But uh, if I get a vampire, I uh, I hear that you can run it full screen now. So <laughs> 20 no, years. No, no, this, yeah. this is this is uh, yeah. Mm. yeah. This is uh, vampires really really nice. This is if you don't have, you should. Buy, try to buy. <laughs> yeah, Maybe <waiting>. try to buy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm waiting. I, uh, I sent uh, one of those emails, but I haven't heard anything yet. So it's. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping to get one for the Amiga Thousand. Uh, I hear I hear that you can use the 500 version for that, and uh, but I also have an Amiga 600 that I would really like to have the version for. Uh, uh, so hopefully they have a few. Extras uh, of that if they stop production of it. I hope uh, for yeah. special guys. That's uh, this, this <laughs> is the same story. The, probably Trevor now should send you a package now with Tableau. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm on the list there as well. So uh, <laughs> yeah. as soon as he has uh, something available, he's going to send it to us. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. good. The last thing, maybe the ratings. Mm, do you want to say something special for somebody? Uh, not really. I don't. Uh, uh, just uh, uh, okay. Stay just uh, stay cool, everybody, and uh, have a great summer. And don't forget to play around with your Amiga. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, good. Uh, so thank you for your time. I learned a lot of things. Uh, I hope the audience as well and uh, some ideas will be implemented sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. So uh, it's really great talking to you. Okay, thank you. And uh, I'm waiting for this table for you and then the, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Yeah.
It was Amicast, podcast for all Amiga users.